You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 435. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 22nd of July, 2020. In today's episode, new developments in the scandal involving Pakistan's dubious flying certificates. Iceland Air will fire its cabin crews following a union dispute. More news, your feedback, and in today's Plane Tales, U-134. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 435 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger, an Emmy Award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 Winds, New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. And it's a place where we get together and talk about things in a positive manner as as best we can. It's a a no-whining zone, and we don't... uh, tackle controversial topics such as politics and religion here at the uh, APG because we want everybody to be happy and hopefully we'll learn something together and hopefully we'll entertain you at the same time. So there you go. I'm Captain Jeff, an airline pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm joined today by my friend and fellow crew member from... His studio on the English countryside, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired captain for an international airline based in London. It's Captain Nick. Well, hi, Jeff. Uh, and the, yeah, the dogs are still barking. I apologize. I think they've spotted the cat outside. So, uh, yeah, great to be back on the show. And uh, even with just the two of us, I'm sure it'll be fine. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. That's a couple different keys I just sang in right there. Um, Am I hearing my door key? (laughs) No. Great to see you, Nick. And for now, it's just the two of us. And we'll be joined shortly by Dr. Steph. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and just jump right on into the news. Stand by for news. First item, Ethiopian Airlines 777 freighter suffers a major fire in Shanghai, and I believe that was uh, today. An Ethiopian Airlines Boeing 777F has caught fire at Shanghai Pudong Airport while cargo was being loaded. This The carrier says, and by the way, this is from flightglobal.com. The carrier says in a statement that the aircraft is registered Echo Tango Alpha Romeo Hotel. 
and was on a regular scheduled cargo service from Shanghai to Sao Paulo and onward to Santiago. Um, videos and photos on social media show a large part of the freighter's aft section burnt away. While the fire's cause is unknown, the footage indicates that it has been brought under control. Ethiopian confirms that the fire has been contained. All ground staff and flying crew are safe, it adds. And uh, let's see. So uh, that's pretty much the only information that we have at the time that we're recording the show. It just happened a few hours ago. And uh, there are some indication from some sources that say that uh, this, well, I hate to use the term toast, but the, uh, <laughs> yeah. this, I think it's going to be a complete hull loss the way it's burnt through the uh, back end of this airplane. Uh, looks pretty bad. Yeah, a lot of damage. Yeah, you so, can see by the angle of the <clears> fin that uh, the fuselage is given way at that point. The fin sort of toppled onto the ground. Yeah, it yeah. looks like pretty severe damage. Yep, and uh, let's see. They, there are, there's also speculation that it could have been uh, lithium-ion battery fire, and uh, so we'll have to see. Well, that's the, quite likely, but uh, there are plenty of other inflammable things, or flammable, depending on which you prefer, mm -hmm. uh, on an airplane, not including the cargo. So, um, yeah, the fact that it happened during cargo loading you, I think of, uh, oh, I wonder if they dropped a pallet. I wonder if uh, something wasn't uh, packed properly. Uh, they, something got badly jostled uh, and uh, kicked it off, kicked the fire off. Um, the, it's, it is, uh, it's impossible to tell at this point. But once an airplane starts to burn, if it starts to then involve hydraulic fluid or fuel or any of the other uh, flammable liquids on board, then it's going to be very hard to stop. It's interesting, isn't it? I wonder if they would have been able to activate the hold fire suppression system when they're mm. sitting on the ground like that. I doubt it would have had the same effect, obviously, uh, when you're airborne because you've got the doors open right, and uh, lots of fresh air and stuff's coming in and the uh, the, the stuff they use, uh, the, the gas is not going to, um, be, be kept in and uh, yeah, be as um, effective. But uh, there you go. It's a shame we haven't got uh, Miami Rick because he used to fly at Triple Seven Freighters, and mm -hmm. he would have been able to tell us. I think that while it may not have been as uh, as serious a thing in flight as a pilot, I can safely say that I would much rather be on the ground watching the airplane burn up than in the air with the potential fire oh my god yes uh, yeah it takes me back to the early day very early days of having the 340 they had one parked on the ground at um i might have been paris and uh the uh engineers closed the cargo doors uh, from the outside by activating the closing switch which uh electrically fires up the yellow hydraulic pump uh, and then uh, that powers the door. And what is then supposed to happen is when the door is closed and the switch is returned, the hydraulic pump switches off again. Well, whatever relay that's supposed to turn that pump off uh, failed to turn the pump off. Oop. And, of course, everyone had to close the airplane up. They all walked away from it. And many hours later, the hydraulic pump, which was still whirring, uh, away electrically driven by the batteries Got decided hot. i've had enough <laughs> yeah. it caught fire mm. and the uh, aircraft was um yeah that was destroyed well that's no good no 
that was a uh, oh, John Jester's there. Yeah, that was three forty. Saying you don't have uh, fire suppression in the fuselage. Mm, interesting. Oh, that's right. So this was in the fuselage and not the uh, under the um, area because they still use that area underneath too, right? For uh, uh, I'm I'm assuming they do. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's just somebody walking around with a fire extinguisher. Then John, is that the the way it works. And we'll wait for about two minutes to get his answer. Um, only thing we normally have is decompression of the aircraft to suppress, suppress the fire or that other word that I just used. Yeah. So it looks like the, uh, the belly, the, the lowest portion of the uh, fuselage where if you're on a passenger aircraft, the cargo goes as fire suppression. Yeah but not uh, in the upper portion where the passengers would normally go on a freighter. Of course, that's also full of freight. Interesting. Uh, let's move on to the second item in our notebook. And this is <laughs> an interesting one um, from Aviation Herald. A Bluebird Aviation de Havilland-8-400 registration 5 Yankee Victor Victor uniform performing a charter freight flight from Djibouti to... Belladwin? Your guess is as good as mine, but it's in Somalia. That. It's in Somalia. Uh, with three crew, landed in that place in Somalia, but apparently suffered a gear collapse and subsequently burst into flames. All three occupants were rescued. The aircraft sustained substantial damage, including the fracture of the right wing. Now, if you just read that paragraph, you'd think, ah, well, they must have had a hard landing and the gear collapsed and... The aircraft slid off the runway, blah, blah, blah. But no, there's more. A manager of Bluebird Aviation confirmed the occurrence, reporting a donkey was crossing the runway. <laughs> All three crew members survived without serious injuries. Uh, I was going to ask you what the donkey's name was, but... Uh, there was an ass involved. Uh, I was just wondering. Oh, okay. <laughs> Liz says that there was an ass involved in, in the incident. <laughs> um on uh, July 15th, uh, 2020, Somalia's CAA reported the aircraft involved was a Dash 8 400 by Bluebird Aviation. This is information that we've already had, right? Uh, why do we do this every time? And why don't I know better than to read it? Um, the aircraft, oh, this is the, I thought was interesting. I highlighted this. The aircraft had been chartered by U.S. Department of Defense. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. The cause of the accident is under investigation. Um, the captain of the flight reported that they were landing at this airport in Somalia uh, when the animal, um, let's see, when a donkey entered the runway, they attempted to turn to avoid the animal, however, collided with the donkey. Um, oh, by the way, I should mention that um, in support of the donkey, I am using my big ass fan company glass Perfect product with water. Placement. Oh, and you have. Yes, perfect product placement. <laughs> I hope we get some money for this. Um, is is Greg in, in the chat room? Has, has he not uh, yet? No, but he, has he facilitated the uh, the flow of advertising dollars to the APG? I hope. <laughs> yeah, anyway, absolutely. The aircraft subsequently skidded off the runway. All three crew received minor injuries in the incident. And there's some pictures here, which we'll share with you if you want to go and look at our show notes, which can be found for each and every episode at the AirlinePilotGuy.com website. You should check it out sometime if you haven't. 
Um, we'll talk more about the site toward the end of the show. But um, yeah, pretty sad. Looks like it completely destroyed this. Isn't yeah, the uh, Dash 8 400 what we call the um, the Q400 or a lot of people call the Q400? Yes. I okay. don't know. Uh, it's a bit small for my um, knowledge. Sorry. Oh, come on. It's it's all <laughs> it's all um and it's a bit it's a bit broken as well so yeah it's very broken it's <laughs> my excuse and i was never very good at uh um, identifying anything that big by the way i would have said uh bella Duane or bella Duane. well then why didn't airport? you because it's taken me like five minutes to work it out <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe on uh, another show in the future, we'll get that right. But that sounds like a reasonable way to pronounce it. Thank you. Uh, looks like uh, Low Approach in the uh, chat room says, yes, it's the Q400. All right, there you go. So interesting. Uh, you don't see that very often in um, most of the world, but uh, somehow you see it a lot in uh, in Africa. A lot of. Can I uh, draw your attention to the second picture down? Yeah which has uh, a lady energetically throwing a bucket of water oh, on the aircraft to help put the fire out. And yes. all the guys are, are standing on the wing. They're supervised. Uh, the remaining wing, yeah. Well, I think they're passing buckets along. They are. It's but a, it's I'm a just bucket gonna, brigade. Yeah, I would like to tell them that that's where they keep all the fuel. <laughs> and this airplane <laughs> no, 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 don't tell them like that. on fire. <laughs> on fire <laughs> so i was gonna say just let it burn guys <laughs> so i'm wondering if the first photograph is later in the chronology or because that wing that on which they were standing is consumed in flames uh, yes so, it is i yeah it's hard to tell what order they're in yeah. yeah either their bucket brigade was very effective and they were able to stand on the wing or perhaps they jumped off when they realized that the uh, wing was catching on fire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just oh, well. wonder if they obviously don't have a fire truck at this airport. Or at least I not guess one not. that could get to the crash site. Apparently not. Uh, I don't see one at all in any of these photos. No. And looking at the aerial view of the uh, Bell and Duane, uh airport, it doesn't look like there's a lot there, but uh, a lot no. of dirt. No. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Let's talk about uh we uh talked about my this. donkey go now yes your donkey may go thank you i'm gonna i'm gonna put my pint glass with the donkey on it over here next to my can of water uh we uh covered the pakistan uh air international air crash and uh during the investigation we learned that there were a bunch of pilots supposedly that had invalid licenses and the latest now that we have in this says that Pakistan on a Thursday validated licenses of 166 pilots working in foreign countries amid a scandal involving dubious flying certificates, which caused a global alert. Pakistan's Civil Aviation Ministry grounded 262 pilots for dubious qualifications last month, prompted by a preliminary report into an airliner crash in Karachi in May that found the pilots had failed to follow standard procedures and disregarded alarms. That crash killed 97 passengers and crew. The ministry had said earlier that Pakistan has a total of 860 pilots, 107 of whom work for foreign airlines, but updated on Thursday in a statement that it had received requests from 10 countries for validation of 176 pilots. 
It said 166 of them have been validated by Pakistan Civil Aviation Authority, the CAA, as genuine and certified, and the remaining 10 will have their process completed by next week. The 10 countries where these pilots are employed included United Arab Emirates, Turkey, Malaysia, Vietnam, Bahrain, Ethiopia, Hong Kong, Oman, Qatar or Qatar, and Kuwait. It said the validation had been conveyed to the respective countries. Uh, out of the 262 grounded pilots, the statement said that the licenses for 28 pilots have been canceled and a process of verification for another 76 was underway. The scandal has prompted the European Union Aviation Safety Agency, or it's much easier just to say EASA, uh, to suspend two Pakistani airlines authorizations to fly to the European bloc for six months over safety failure. There you have it. Yeah, Anything to say? Not much to be said, really, other than they are doing their best to wheedle out the ones who've uh, falsified their certificates, and yep. hopefully uh, the rest will be allowed to go back to work. Yes. Very good. All right. Well, let's talk about this whole coronavirus disease 2019, or otherwise known as COVID-19. Um, First item regarding that is uh, item D, airline pilot believes planes couldn't be cleaner. Now, come fly with me, apparently. That's the sentiment expressed by one Bay Area commercial air pilot who told KCBS Radio uh, that the air that the crew and passengers breathe in the main cabin couldn't be cleaner, even during the coronavirus pandemic. Got a little audio for us to listen to. Come fly with me. The sentiment expressed by one Bay Area pilot who says the air that crew and passengers breathe in the main cabin couldn't be cleaner. KCBS's Jim Taylor has more. Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away. The friendly skies are not exactly filled with passenger jets these days, but there are planes making regular flights and, and about the air quality in the main cabin. A little research will tell you it is better than 99% pure, a mixture of fresh and super filtered air. I hear that airline air is actually better than most other air. Right, we use the HEPA filters, these really high quality filters that they use in hospitals. Bob's a pilot, flies regularly. He's going out tonight from SFO. We sanitize every single thing. I don't like the idea of we keep any middle row seat empty, that's their choice, but I, it doesn't make sense. When you have somebody on the cross in the aisle from your arm's length, somebody in front of you, not even arm's length, and somebody behind you. So you tell me that's the difference? Passengers are required to wear face masks. Those N95 masks are recommended. He says he and the crew get tested regularly. Safe travels. Jim Taylor, KCBS. And Bob was not an official spokesperson for Alaska Airlines. <laughs> Interesting. Well, uh, I wonder what their policy is for giving impromptu interviews. I don't know, but I'm, I'm kind of suspecting that they may ask him, pull him aside and say, uh, the comment about the middle rows or the middle seats in the row being empty, uh, you didn't have to say anything about that, yeah, Bob. Quite right. Bob. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so there uh, we go. I th there's uh, been some news about uh, how safe it is to have that middle row and it empty, and it does make a difference, but it's not a significant distance, no. a difference. So, uh, you know. 
yeah, I think the the safest thing to do is to uh, wear your mask, keep your hands clean, uh, try not to touch your face or your mask during the flight. Uh, sit there and quietly endure it. Uh, and um, you know, if you're one of the people that have symptoms, then for heaven's sake, don't take the risk and try and risk spreading them. Um, and and keep your feet off the furniture. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and if you can, everybody get a damn test so that we know whether you're a bug carrier or not. There you go. All right. Let's, uh, let's see. What does this say? Richard McKinney, oh. MIT study says twice as likely to catch COVID with middle seat full versus Bob, Bob obviously empty. didn't read that. <laughs> yeah. Bob, somebody, Richard, send that to Bob, please. That's yes. Bob at alaskaair.com. <laughs> All right. Uh, continuing with um, COVID-related stories, we're going to try to quickly move through these because we're kind of tired of hearing these, aren't we? You know, a 14-day quarantine has been the law in this country for people entering the country for months now. But as we This is uh, out of Toronto. ...found out today, not everybody knows about that. And as the numbers show, not everybody is willing to comply with it. I did my test. I even showed them my test. My test is negative. In the plane, I... I refused to, to, to eat, to greet people. I had even my sanitizer. I didn't drink nothing. I didn't go to the toilet. Dr. Benjamin Gosset has just arrived in Toronto from France. He took a COVID test two days ago and thought he'd done everything he could to make sure he wasn't spreading the virus. But he didn't know what Canada expected when he landed. I was surprised when I came. They told me that I have to be quarantined. Then I say, OK, no problem. Officials will likely follow up to ensure he's following the 14-day quarantine order, but not everyone has been. According to Canada Border Services Agency, some travelers have indicated they didn't plan to comply with the order as early as the moment they entered the country. According to the Public Health Agency of Canada, police in Canada have been notified of more than 21,000 cases of people who've recently arrived in Canada and either couldn't be reached or showed indications of non-compliance. How do you manage thousands and thousands of people if even a thousand of them don't want to obey the quarantine rules? It's, it's way beyond the ability of the police to start knocking on doors to check on people to see if they're obeying it. According to a federal government website, at least a dozen flights have arrived at Pearson in the past 14 days, bringing a confirmed case of COVID-19 with them. Flights from Mexico, Switzerland, Florida, Germany, several from Charlotte, North Carolina, Ethiopia, Pakistan, and Washington, D.C. Add to that a handful of domestic flights that have also had confirmed cases. The website suggests that some people in certain rows may have been affected, but for some flights, the affected area is listed simply as unknown, meaning those on the flight who should be in quarantine won't know if they had a direct exposure to COVID-19 or not. There will always be a few people who either uh, don't understand um, and mistakenly go out uh, and, um, you know, violate isolation or quarantine procedures. Uh, but by and large, people do try to stick to the rules because they're not particularly interested in uh, making others around them sick. And as for enforcement, the Public Health Agency of Canada says, as far as they're aware, only nine tickets have been issued across the country for offenses under the Quarantine Act. Morning live at Pearson Airport. I'm Scott Lightfoot. Nathan, back to you. Yeah, uh, that was from Toronto, the CTV News in Toronto, uh, Ontario, Canada. Uh, they have a list of uh, flights in within uh, can, uh, Canada and also flights coming in from international destinations. And I'd like to point out that I don't know if it's the majority, but a significant number of these departed Charlotte, North Carolina. Steph, <laughs> I think you have some explaining to do when yeah. you get on the show today. Yeah. Oh dear. 
They're the only ones I think from the, oh, there's one from uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and one from uh, the state of Washington. Uh, well, it says Washington. Maybe they mean Washington, D.C. Um, anyway, yeah, you know, I think what I gather from that story is, yeah, you're so supposed to quarantine yourself, but sounds like you're, it's the honor system. Uh, I don't think uh, there's really a, an effective way to make sure that these people are actually putting themselves in quarantine. So you just got to trust them. Yeah, and th- this sadly is an area where human nature is likely to lead the system to break down. Uh, mm-hmm. You really do need to be a responsible human being right now. And unfortunately, we have more than our fair share of people who don't fall into that category. You talking about me again? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, in, in a kind of roundabout way. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, How was the train? <laughs> It was good until the last day of my trip when the uh, uh, the lady that was uh, what do you call those the steward um, the conductor the, the, the cabin cabin steward uh, not the conductor the conductor did not come back to to visit me at all I'm very all disappointed right. but uh, he was busy uh, looking after the orchestra uh, apparently they didn't know that I was on the train you know <laughs> um, but yeah they were they were busy actually you know driving or whatever it is they do up there in the train training. <laughs> Um, uh, so this lady, the steward, uh, decided to sit down and take her mask off and just tell me all about her life. And the fact that her daughter is a, uh, she lives in the New Orleans area. Her daughter is a, uh, an emergency room doctor, uh, for, uh, one of the hospitals in New Orleans and, uh, that she came over for dinner the night before this, uh, uh, this train, uh, ride. And Uh-oh. I'm thinking to myself. ER yep. doctor, <laughs> that's not good. Yeah, my, and you're uh, breathing my all over me. Bells could be going off. Right now. <laughs> I told uh, I, I was scheduled to uh, sing um, on the day after I returned, and I told my choir director, "I think I'm going to give myself a couple of weeks, just to be fair to everyone, because I may have been exposed uh, that last day of my nearly two week trip. Uh, we did a really good job until right at the end, but Damn. oh well, that's the way it goes. So far, so good. I haven't. Um, exhibited any symptoms, but uh, well, you're not getting for a few days. No, well, that's right. I, I got in on. It's been a few days, but we'll see. Uh, hopefully, knock on wood, everything Good will bad. be okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. That's why. That's why you're doing all that knocking. That's why I'm doing all the knocking for sure. Thank you, Liz. Um, that might be why. Yeah, subconsciously, I, I just didn't realize it. Um, item F, uh, 55 Air India pilots have tested COVID positive. Airline proposes that they cut their salary 60% for pilots. Um, Air India wow. has proposed a 60% salary cut for pilots amid the coronavirus panic, which has infected 55 of its cockpit crew members. This, by the way, is from the Economic Times in, uh, and part of the Indian India Times. Uh, The proposed cut for pilots is almost 60% of gross emoluments. It is hilarious to note that the top management, I wouldn't use the word hilarious, actually, uh, to note that the top management has proposed a meager 3.5% cut on its own gross salary, said a joint letter by the Indian Commercial Pilots Association and India Pilots Guild, the unions representing the pilots. Um. For example, the director of personnel takes a minuscule cut of 4% on gross pay, while a co-pilot who's paid less than the market is given a cut of 60%. How is this justified? 
Doesn't this amount to unchecked greed and selfishness? The union said in a letter on Thursday. Uh, while scheduled international flights have been suspended in the country since March 23rd, Air India has been operating international repatriation flights, all or repatriation, if you'd like, uh, all around the world under Vandi Bharat mission. Moreover, since scheduled domestic passenger flight operations resumed on May 25th, the airline has been operating services domestically too. As of date, 55 pilots have been have tested positive for COVID-19. So, yeah, seems uh, that the uh, unions are not really on board or happy with the proposed 60 percent. Well, funny pay cut. thing. I mean, an airline's like any organization. You have to have leadership from the top down. Yep. And the only way to display leadership is to take the same cut as you're proposing for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I understand that cuts uh, may well be needed, while we all be necessary, because uh, like all other airlines, uh, the income has dried up and you've still got lots of overheads. But, uh, you know, just by s- suggesting that one portion of the workforce take such a vast hit is uh, ridiculous. It is. And... Speaking of ridiculous, I mean, you can kind of characterize this one as ridiculous. Um, So, and we have an update to this, by the way, but initially, Iceland Air uh, said it will sack its cabin crew and put pilots in charge of onboard safety after negotiations on a collective bargaining agreement failed between the airline and the cabin crew labor association. It was unclear how many staff would be affected or how flying without cabin crew, usually in charge of onboard safety, could meet international aviation standards. Iceland Air was not immediately available for comment. After a month of talks between Iceland Air and the Cabin Crew Association, Iceland Air said in a statement negotiations had ended without resolution. Um, So that was the story earlier in the week. But uh, things have changed, and uh, as of July 20th, which was two days ago, we're recording this on the 22nd, um, from simpleflying.com, Iceland Air reaches a deal with flight attendants and avoids layoffs. Um, Iceland Air announced that it had signed a deal with the Icelandic Cabin Crew Association, abbreviated FFI with a weird accent mark on it. I I don't understand why, because it doesn't look like anything like Icelandic Cabin Crew Association, but they do things differently in Iceland, I guess. The airline has stated that the most recent cabin crew layoffs would be withdrawn. The news comes just two days after the airline announced that it would be firing every single one of its flight attendants and replacing them with pilots. It was a difficult end of the week for Iceland Air Cabin Crew after the airline announced. uh, Okay, we just talked about that. Both parties were in talks to negotiate a new contract and had reached disagreement over pay and working hours. Due to a reduction in operations, the carrier had decided that the pilots could take charge of onboard safety. Now, when I saw that article, I'm thinking, how are they going to do that? That doesn't seem like, I, you know, cabin crew go through a lot of training and certification from the regulators. And I'm thinking, I don't think that uh, Iceland Air's regulators would just say, oh, okay, yeah, um, Pilots can get back there and, you know, as long as they can show that they, they can open and close the doors and, and uh, you know, do some other simple safety-related things, uh, go ahead. I don't know. What do you think about that, Nick? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not really going to lay myself open for uh, a court case, but 
Um, I think there's a reason why some airlines choose Iceland to be their center of operations. Uh, and it's not because Iceland has the strictest regulations in the world. Um, leave it at that. Uh, the other thing I would say is that uh, they probably have a, a lot of pilots who aren't working right now. So they thought, well, we can uh, sort of solve two problems here. We can keep our pilot workforce active uh, and we can solve our dispute with the cabin crew. Um, I, I mean, officially, uh, we all have to do the same uh, safety and equipment training. Uh, if they're relatively short flights and or they're not doing much of a service, then there's really little to be done during the flight other than make sure the passengers are are uh, belted in when you get turbulence or um, that you can deal with the medical issues. But that's probably not a legal requirement um, to but be what, able to you know, deal with medical issues. I would imagine that most of the flights that Iceland Air conducts uh, are to countries other than Iceland, and I'm wondering how that You've got a point, would... actually. Um, Iceland's not a very big place, is it? No, and <laughs> so I'm wondering... the internal flights. So, like the FAA or EASA or whatever, would they kind of say, oh, wait a minute, yeah, your rules might be kind of lax over there, but over here, we kind of expect certain... I don't know. I'm not sure how that works, actually. Neither do I. Uh, I mean, I've nev never really been into that field of right. um, international law, so I don't know. One of the, but I'm uh, assuming that uh, Iceland have an agreement. They say so long as they pass our uh, requirements, uh, then mm -hmm. they pass everybody else's. One of the issues would be now, perhaps not with Iceland Air because I don't know what their fleet um, diversity is. Uh, I would imagine it's qu not quite the same as some of the big airlines that, uh, for for instance, in the U.S. are concerned they have a, a very high diversity of different airplane types and i know that's one of the hardest things for our cabin crews when they go through training they they are qualified to fly every single airplane that the uh, airline flies and that's why it can be kind of a um, tough situation i mean that's why it's such a tough training um, environment because yeah. they have to know how to open and close and do all the different things for all the different you know fleets so. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's any way the pilots would have done it as well as a well-trained cabin crew. I don't been recall doing seeing, it for years. Do you recall seeing anything at all from like the pilots uh, union or pilots no, at all saying, nothing at hey, all. wait a minute, <laughs> what, <laughs> what do you mean? But <laughs> on the other hand, work? it may have been for them, it may have been a case of, well, we're going to sack you, but we'll keep you on if you work in the cabin until we solve this dispute. Yeah. So they may have gone, yeah, okay, that'll uh, that'll do. But regardless, the threat was sufficient to um, get the cabin crew to um, toe the party line. So the yeah. the threat, the, you know, the problem's gone away. Um, seems to me like it was a bit of an empty threat, but I would might have been a good idea to press to test on that, but. At the risk of losing your job, well, yeah, yeah. So as the company signed new five-year deals similar to those proposed to cabin crew with air mechanics and pilots, the airline's board took a 30% salary reduction, while the salary of the CEO was decreased by 25%. So, yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe really there was some game gamemanship uh, involved in yeah. this whole thing, perhaps. But we are seeing a huge raft of uh, renegotiations, aren't we? And uh, mm -hmm. the management seems to be putting the screws on generally. Uh, there's uh, certainly not a lot of good news right now in the industry. Nope.
Okay. Certainly not. Searching for good news on the App Store. All right. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So I wasn't sure if that was coming from Liz or if it, was, it must have been no, coming, coming from, from Nick. my watch. You decided to search for good, good news. news. For Thanks very much. Well, what does Alexa watch? think about the good news? Yeah, well. <laughs> Not a lot. Oh, hey, look. Somebody just popped Speaking into the news? screen. Yeah, Woo-hoo. talking about great news. Let's uh, hang on. Let me make sure we got the script so that I don't say something stupid or more stupid than normal. Look who's joining us. It is from... Her lakeside home in the Carolinas, uh, a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot. It's our own Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. How are, how are you doing today? Great. Glad to be here finally. Sorry for tardy uh, week number two, but work gets hey, in the way sometimes. So we'll, we'll take Got what here. we can get. Uh, looking forward to... Well, you could say that we're starting too early. Uh, well, you are. Um I'm not That's sure whose really fault problem, that is. <laughs> Nick, <it's> Nick's fault. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Ah, yes. Well, we'll we'll get caught up with you uh, in just a few minutes. We just have one more item in our news notebook that we'd like to cover before we move on to uh, getting to know a segment, and uh, that would be the last item, item H. Um, this I just saw pop up. In the social meds, uh, just a couple of hours before we started the recording today, and this is from Vass Aviation, and I am going to share the screen, and we can listen. And if you're watching the video, watch together this little incident that occurred very recently. Yeah, on six route shots down tower, winds calm. We're one seven left five nine, clear for takeoff. Make a left downwind departure. I'll get you on course to the northeast shortly. It gets your left hand with the project. Let's take off for 17 left Aircraft on the runway. The cab on 6 Bravo Charlie, stop. 6 Bravo Charlie, stop your aircraft. Cap on 6 Bravo Charlie Tower. Can't hear you. 682, I want you to make a right turn to the west immediately. We got the aircraft taking off in sight. 682. Turn back into the downwind immediately. Cancel your landing clearance. Ready to cancel. Turn back into the downwind. 682. I'm on 6 Bravo Charlie, tower. Go ahead, sir. I was, uh, couldn't hear you before. 6 Bravo Charlie, roger. I want you to turn right, right immediately and fly eastbound. That's good. Eastbound, 6 Bravo Charlie, thanks. 6 Bravo Charlie, it appears you departed uh, northbound off uh, runway 35, sir. Flow is 17. For possible pilot deviation, I'm going to have a number for you to call momentarily. Continue eastbound to Parker and Arapa Road. I am so sorry. I, <laughs> I just wanted to get out of there. So sorry. 682, oh, okay. right, clear to land. Clear to land. Clear to land. 6 Bravo Charlie, fly to Parker and Arapo and then exit the Delta there. Let me know when you can copy a phone number. Oh, I, I don't have a pen. Can I, I'll be back in a couple hours. Can I call you then? 6 Bravo Charlie, Roger. Stand by. 6 Bravo Charlie, where are you headed to? I Akron, sir. Charlie, stay with me this frequency momentarily. Very good. I'm so sorry. Six Bravo Charlie. Six Bravo uh, Charlie for the possible pilot deviation. Uh, when you return and need you, going to go ahead and contact the tower at that time. We're just going to go ahead and mark your call sign, and then uh, we'll be expecting the call when you uh, when you land uh, for you to copy that number. I've got the tower number, sir. I have it in my uh, contact. Thank you. Please call when you uh, when you come back in and for exchange approved. 
I'll call you when I get to Akron, sir. And uh, Harrison Ford had no comment about yep. the. Uh, wait a minute, no, that wasn't Harrison. So <laughs> I think this guy may you know, I have. Keep, I keep tower phone numbers in my contacts. Yeah. Why does, yeah. why does he have? The, yeah, me too. Um, so apparently he has to call the tower quite often. I don't know. Um, and is he related in some way to the class Bravo um, uh, bandit <laughs> and Vegas? Remember that. He didn't have Could a well be. Yeah, absolutely. He didn't have a way to copy down uh, any of the uh, information about the phone number either, but he didn't say that he had them in their contacts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, no, he was too busy. He was uh Oh, he's flying. Busy. That's right. I'm flying. I can't copy yeah. a number right now. Yeah. I'm busy flying the airplane. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing about not having a pen. This guy just, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't have no a pen. No pen, no idea which runway he's taking. Can't help you. Sorry. Yeah. 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 So and then it was interesting to me that he made the comment, oh, I, I didn't, I, I couldn't hear you before. Well, how did he know that they were trying to contact him before? He heard Good them. Point. <laughs> Come on. Them. You go, well, maybe I can get away with this. I'll just pretend that. A, What's that? I don't know. That's an interesting one. Because, I mean, he did call them back as soon as he was in the air. And he seemed, you know, mildly apologetic. Not yeah, but I mean, that. it's like he said... I, I I couldn't hear you. Go ahead. I couldn't I couldn't hear you before. I wasn't paying attention. Uh yeah. Or, is that my is that my tail number? Are they calling or, me? Yeah. Nah, can't be maybe. me. I'm taking per- off. Why would they want me to stop? May have been purposefully ignoring them, knowing that he was doing something against what they cleared him to do. I don't know. I don't know. He just wanted to get out of there. Yeah, he just wanted to get out of there. You know. You, you can hardly blame him. <laughs> Why is um, it that nastier place? Apparently, I don't know. Um, where did this I mean, happen? Denver, uh, Centennial, Centennial, Colorado, and is going all the way to Akron. That can't be. There must be an no, Akron in, in Colorado. Colorado. <laughs> yeah, he's not going that far. Okay, on his decathlon. Yeah, I was going to think. I don't think they have that kind of range. Nah, no, no, no. Yeah. But. Well, anyway, another interesting one, and uh, another very similar kind of exchange between a controller and a pilot. Oh, I don't know. I think this guy was, I mean, he certainly apologized, at least. The other guy never even hinted at an apology. That's true. true. I think this guy just, I don't know what this guy was thinking. I think this guy just wasn't thinking. Well, he had to make a pretty sharp turn to get onto the runway to go against the flow. He took the right taxiway for, you know, getting onto the runway in the direction he wanted to take or should have been taking Mm -hmm. off, and he doubled back on himself to... (laughs) To take off the way he did, so I'm going. Really? Yeah, well, I don't don't understand that at all. We probably but, will never know exactly what happens. Well, you in see, this I case. Ju- I just couldn't have made that mistake in an A340. I I couldn't have got around that corner. <laughs> it was a very tight turn. It was it was kind of what I would call a reverse high speed uh, that he was using to mm-hmm. take the runway. And as Nick says, it's a more than a, a ninety degree turn, turn. Yeah. hundred and twenty yeah. degree turn at yeah. least. Yeah, I'd have been dragging wheels through the grass. Yeah, then you'd have other problems and other reasons to call people. <laughs> so, all right, well, that's it. That's all of our news. Also, who doesn't have a pen like today? Yeah, know? I know. Come on, really? Yeah, that doesn't. I don't know. Doesn't pass the test, Mm-mm. as they say. All right. Well, now. It's time in the show for us to kind of talk about what we've been doing between episodes. And let's start with, well, 
we haven't really had a chance to talk much with Dr. Steph, so why don't you uh, tell us what's been going on? What has been going on? Well, um, more of the same, really. Um, Been a busy week at work, as usual, which we don't really need to talk about, because that's not interesting, really, to anyone listening, except for me. Um, Did a lot of flying last weekend, again, and actually spent a little bit of time hanging out with Armando. He came down to our drop zone and hung out for a little bit, chatted for a little bit, got to meet some of the people there as well. So, uh, good weekend there. Um, It's been crazy, crazy hot, um, which uh, this time of year with the humidity and uh, all of that leads to a lot of afternoon convective activity and thunderstorms. So, most days around three o'clock or so, it's getting really uh, iffy in terms of the weather, lots of big thunderstorms and buildups and things. So, uh, that's been fun. uh, both from a flying standpoint um, and also from uh, trying to get home in the afternoon in my Jeep that has no doors on it standpoint. Um, yeah, I told you what to do, Steph. You need to get galoshes and a rain hat, then you'll be fine. Or you it can is, put the doors back on. The, it's not. That's effort, Jeff. That's so much effort. <laughs> but it's so nice in the morning. Um, okay. Yeah. No, and it's not that the car can't get wet. I mean, it's got drain plugs in the floor, for goodness sake. It's just that it's annoying. And it takes a long time to dry out when it's really humid. So but it's a wet heat, you know. So yeah, that's not better than a dry heat. Oh, okay. I mean, I it definitely read 100 degrees <laughs> on my uh, thermometer in my car coming home this afternoon. So it's uh, you can probably see I'm still a little like warm and flushed from from driving. But no, you look no like you always do. Well, maybe a gotcha. little bit pink cheap. Yeah, cheap, a little cheap. a little pink. A little yeah. Pink. Uh, yeah, but it's been a good week. That was a lot of fun. I'm glad Armando got to come down and hang out with us for a little while. I think he's going to come back with his uh, lovely bride and do a tandem jump at some point in the next couple oh, of weeks. So that'll be, that'll be fun. Now, we'll if you're married, do you jump face-to-face or back-to-back? How's that work? <laughs> married? <laughs> yeah, Wait. if you do a tandem jump a tandem? and you're, you're married, uh, do you do you jump when you're attached face-to-face or do you do it back-to-back? Or how's you know, unfortunately, they're going to they're gonna separate them. Depends oh, on, really? Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. Okay. Depends on uh, how, how many years they've been married, apparently. Yes. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, back um, to back. They've been married a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. They don't even have to speak to each other on that jump. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, there's enough room in, you know, in the aircraft. They can go up on yeah. the same road. The other question the I have is, if you're a married couple, uh, who does the driving? That's a question I can't answer. Well, I can answer for for me. I drive. Yes, <laughs> always. <laughs> always. I kind of guess that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not married though. So. No, that's true. That's yeah. very true. All but right. if if given the option, I'll drive. Very and cool. even but, if not given the option, I'll just I'll drive anyway. Well, speaking of just speaking of Armando and his lovely bride and uh, daughter. Uh, they're actually in Atlanta have been, uh, I think for the past couple of days, I was going to been communicating with them and they invited me to get together with them for a picnic and something else today down at Centennial Olympic Park. And I said, darn it, that really is not going to work out with the timing for uh, recording the show today. But I think that uh, Armando, Armando and I might get together tomorrow for brunch or something. So oh, we shall see. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Anything else, uh, Steph? I was going to go think, to no. uh, Captain Nick, but uh, apparently but he's, um, he's left. He apparently Suddenly. didn't want to tell us about what's been going on with him. So, oh, wait a minute. He might be there back he now. Is. Hey, there he is. <laughs> uh, 
But I was typing a comment in, and <laughs> I hit the enter key, and it dropped me off the show. There must be a shortcut key on the keyboard for. Yeah, it's the quick eject. You know, oh, you enter just well, you pulls the plug. The Martin Baker button. Yeah, the Martin Baker button. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was Liz's suggestion. Um, or perhaps uh, Streamyard knew that you were going to say something kind of offensive and decided uh, to, you know prevent that before you said it wow before neat. you said it yeah oh and i will real quick before you hand it over to nick to talk i will say um uh -huh. i take no responsibility for all those um coronavirus virus cases making it to uh toronto out of charlotte that is not i have oh, nothing to do with that you sure i don't know it looks kind of suspicious to me <laughs> yes, definitely all my fault uh, <laughs> i knew it no i'll say this in terms of um i think those were all american airlines flights but Certainly anyone who kind of knows knows that Charlotte's a big hub for American Airlines and especially with other places having been hotspots on the East Coast. So New York, New Jersey areas, um, Charlotte's taking up all some from of the Charlotte. slack even for, yeah, but Charlotte's taking up a lot of the slack for being that um, um, connecting hub. So no, who knows I think where those were, people those actually all, came from. They were all think originations. They, there are um, so few originating passengers they were all in Charlotte originations. compared to connecting Hang passengers. On. Somebody's telling me in the control room. Yes, all connect. Uh, no, no connections. All, All from that passage. dirty city of Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, I will say, though, our numbers are not good right now. So Just um, if you're listening from the area here, make sure you're doing your part. Masks, wash your hands, social distance, all that good stuff. Right. Um, and I think there was something else I was going to say, and I can't remember related to what you were talking about in the news. But hmm. oh, well, if I think of it. Well, if you I'll think of you know. it, let us know. we Will do. Which is what you just said when I was talking as well. Over you. Sorry. Um, all good. Let's see. Let's get Nick before he decides to take himself out of the stream yard. <laughs> well, yeah, I, piecework, you know, I only, I'm only on when I get paid. <laughs> oh, we'll see you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I was looking forward to doing some flying tomorrow, but sadly, um, that's fallen through. Oh. Uh, the trip we were going to do uh, uh, with Pip and meet up with Al uh guys have got other things going on right now so uh, sadly this can happen but i'm assured uh we will continue to press for a, a chance to do that so thanks guys looking forward to that so what have i been doing um plain tales of course is keeping me busy i uh even got a uh a, a rather gently worded reminder that i hadn't actually posted um the you know, specific pain tales on the pain tale page. Um, so if you're listening to that feed, the last one you'd have got would have been around the beginning of June. Um, so uh, with that in mind, uh, I sat down this afternoon and uh, put the next two along. So you've got two more to listen to now. Uh, and I've only got a few. There's only like four a month, you know. There aren't, well, I'm not that far behind, but there no. are a few. Um which has kept me busy. And have you caught up uh, yet? Because um, that means I have to go and make sure that you have well, the latest ones. I think you should anyway, but I think I've got two more uh, to to uh, uh, post still. It still it okay. takes a little time because yeah. I have to it's a lot find of work. pictures, and uh, m the hardest part is finding pictures that I can allow to put up uh, because of the copyright laws. Mm -hmm. I can't just grab any old picture and throw it up. It has to be one that I can put under Creative Commons license. Thank you very um, much for that consideration, because these companies will contact you and say, oh, yeah, we see that you used our our image on your website and you owe us four hundred dollars. 
Yeah, well, I think the easiest thing to do is just take it down then. <laughs> so, yeah. no, we don't know you anything. But I, no, I'm only joking. Um, wh- wh- I always endeavor not to um, because, right. you know, um, that's how people make their money. And photographers yep. need to make money just like everybody else if you're a professional photographer. So I, I do understand. Um, but uh, there are lots of images out there under Creative Commons. So, um, uh, I try and stick to those. Uh, so th- they're up, a couple are up. And, um, of course, uh, writing uh, Plain Tales takes me at least two days uh, to get it all out and sorted and recorded. So uh, that, that's a reasonable amount of the time of the week. Uh, and I've been doing some photography work. Oh, and chatting away with one of our lovely listeners, and Pruitt, uh, who is um, part of the Twit Network, uh, the podcast network um, that uh, is this week in technology. And he does a separate uh, podcast uh, within that group, that family of shows called Hands-On Photography. Uh, and he's a brilliant photographer. And, uh, and uh, with the possibility of me obtaining a new camera, I... We've been seeking his advice, and we've been chatting about the new range of Canon cameras. Sadly, I can't get to B&H Photo anymore, so <laughs> I'm going to have to buy it here in the UK. Mm. I could buy it for you, and then uh, no, ship it to you. Checking. I, I'd, I, would, I would legally have to pay uh, 20% VAT plus duty of a, at least 4%, probably, uh, to bring it back into the UK anyway, so uh, that once I do that, it's cheaper to buy it here. Um, but uh, no, I've been looking at new cameras, uh, which has been great. And uh, thanks for all your advice, uh, Ant. Um, and what else have you been up to? So the, so the camera that you're using right now is broken then? You can't use it? No, no, I'll have three <laughs> really expensive cameras then. <laughs> okay, just wanted to clarify that. <laughs> yeah, no, they, 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 I, I would hope that this camera would probably fulfill all my needs, but you always got to have a backup just in case. Oh, yeah. Uh, it fails on the day, so I always go out with two cameras. That's just the um, but, most um, practical thing to do, I think. Responsible. Exactly. Responsible. Well, if you're working with a client, you don't really want to have to say, oh, my camera's broken. Uh, you'll have to come back next week. <laughs> How's that? No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Love it. Although I did once, I fell into a river uh, with my camera and a bunch of lenses. And oh, I fell that, into a river. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> and that wrecked uh, a considerable amount of equipment. So it's a good job I was well insured. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, but other good. than that, uh, no, I cooked some lovely ribs the other day. Jilly found uh, mm. a butcher with but really, really nice uh, ribs. So put a couple of racks on the barbie, and that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, And it's been gorgeous weather. So enjoying uh, being out each morning with the dogs and uh, doing a bit of bowling and basically uh, enjoying the life of a retired airline pilot. Lovely. Well, you deserve it. Well, thank you, sir. Um, so... Um, I think Neil was asking about uh, to remind uh, everyone of the address to send ideas for Plain Tales episodes. And uh, I'd prefer that you send it to plaintales at airlinepilotguy.com, not the feedback, because that way we'll know that uh, that that specific, you know, uh, email is for that purpose, if that makes sense. But if you send it to feedback, that's okay too. We can get it to the right, into the right channels. That sort yeah, of I'd like to point out that the last two plain tales uh, are subjects that Mainman Micah have brought up. He found uh, a couple of really interesting stories, particularly today's, oh. uh, which sort of is, is the 
kernel of the nut uh, that is today's story. But uh, thanks for the very much indeed uh, for those ideas, Micah. Kernel nuts is that uh, Jeff Felmuth we're talking about? No, our main no. man okay. Micah. Another nut. Oh, that, that, that kernel nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, Colonel Jeff. Um, oh, she's back, Doctor Steph. Welcome back. Hi, sorry. Sometimes, um, you know, before 5 p.m. work still gets in the way sometimes. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I was tracked down, by, tracked down for a uh, curbside consult there. Somebody has <laughs> suggested that uh, you come up with a new segment on the show called Pain Tales. Plain Tales? Like Plain no. P-L-A-I? Oh. No. Pain. What was it? Oh, Pain Tales. Pain. Like um, shots. Pain Tales. Pain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if people are interested... Yeah, get some no. good stories together. Well, Jeff, <laughs> you you could have one called Train Tales. I could. Oh, great transition. Thank you. <laughs> great segue. Right. Um, so yeah, um, talked about. Well, the last two episodes, I was kind of missing my my co-host, my in studio co-host uh, Stephen Ivy. He and I set off just over two weeks ago. Um, a week, two weeks ago, Monday. Uh, for the the great road trip, um, Stephen uh, is taking a job out on the West Coast and needed to get his Toyota Prius out there and uh, uh, some stuff loaded up in the car as well, including me and uh, my my bag or two. And uh, we, uh, if you haven't already heard them, you should um, uh, listen to the what do I call it? Road trip um, crew logs that uh, we put out. Um, and I think I got just about every day, except for maybe the last day 10, uh, put out a, uh, a log to um, talk about where we've been and what we were planning on doing and the great time that we were having on our trip. Ended up hitting five uh, national parks. I think we talked about that on the last show. Uh, Steph is still way out ahead um, as far as the uh, national park countdown goes mm-hmm. but um anyway um so we uh, had a oh i should talk about that we had a meetup out in southern california on tuesday so a week ago or two weeks no a week ago yesterday uh at ballast point brewing company and it was wednesday the day you left oh on the it's train. wednesday you're right that was the same day that i left on the train thank you liz uh, so exactly two or one week ago, we had our meetup at Ballast Point Brewing in Long Beach, and I'm going to play a little audio that I recorded while we were there. Hello, everyone. We are at the Ballast Point Brewing Company Long Beach location. And uh, by the way, if you've never had a Ballast Point beer, it is really good. And they have uh, versions of their brews here that I don't think I've ever seen in the grocery store or liquor store, especially the one that Jordan Baus is holding at this moment. I ordered it, and kind of sorry I did, but I thought I had to try it. It's a Indian extra stout with curry, and you like it? Okay. Obviously, Jordan's had a lot to drink, apparently. Um, anyway, so I'm with a uh, just a fantastic group of folks. Well... They're not bad. Well, actually, to be honest, I can't wait to get out of here because these people are really irritating. No, I'm just kidding. Great group of folks here at the Ballast Point, Long Beach, not too far from where I grew up in uh, Los Alamitos. We're, in fact, we're on the Alamitos Bay and uh, not too far from where I used to go to the beach. It's a beautiful day here. Um, nice, 
comfortable temperatures, dry air, which is typical for this area of the world. And, um, yeah, we're looking at the water and boats and people in paddle boats and other sailboats and all kinds of interesting things. Anyway, um, so I just wanted to kind of uh, go around the table here and kind of let people say hi to you and... Uh, I, I want them to say how much me, Jeff, mean to them. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not, not, I don't want them to do that. I want them to tell them who they are and uh, say hi to the community. That's what I want. Oh. Okay. Well, I just tried to. This person sitting next to me, just she just uh, pointed the other direction. So. Okay, so here we go. We're going to hand it over to Stephen Ivey. You may not have heard of this guy. Oh, wait, everybody's heard of Stephen Ivey. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, yeah, y- y'all have heard of me. I- I've done... Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Talking is hard. Uh, take two. <gasps> yeah, y- y'all know me. Um, you know, just did a road trip across the country with Jeff. Um, we didn't get arrested, getting in trouble. Um, it was a successful road trip, and then just got to take him to the train station, and then I'll, I'll be all by myself. He can't wait to get rid of me, to dump me. He, he's been giddy all day. Actually, I'll probably get up in the morning and say, like, okay, we got to Oh, yeah, Jeff's not here. <laughs> well, I don't think so because Stephen is so busy with his life. It's just crazy busy. And tomorrow he's going to be heading off for recurrent training. And then he's going to be back out here to come. Well, I'll let, you, I'll let him tell you. Yep, uh, I got to go to Denver tomorrow to go to recurrent training, and then I start my new job at uh, Acme on Monday morning at 6 a.m. And then tomorrow I've got to coordinate a move three time zones away, and I'm not going to be there, so that should work out really well. Well, thankfully, I don't have to deal with any of that stuff because it would be really stressful. I'm just sitting here drinking beer and having great conversation with good friends. So let's move on over to Jordan Baus. He's not a a stranger to APG meetups. Hey guys, it's Jordan. Uh, welcome to Southern California. Hope you guys have uh, uh, had a great time listening to the podcast. It's great to have Jeff and Steven and JP and my wife here, Sanjal. And we're sitting here enjoying the beautiful Southern California weather. Uh, hopefully some of you fellow APG community members can come out here to Southern California sometime. So make sure you reach out. All right, until next time, back to you in the studio, Jeff. Well, thank you. But we're not finished yet, Jordan. Nice try. Um, Yeah, I wanted to say that I know that there are a lot of people here in the Southern California area. Many of you contacted me and said, yeah, but, you know, with this whole coronavirus thing, not really super comfortable with doing that yet. And I I get that. And everybody has different situations and different risk factors and that kind of thing. And so that's cool. So here's my deal. I'm going to make a deal with you. And going to come back out here to Southern California after all this Rona stuff dies down and everybody will be confident to go out and maskless and pantless. Oh, wait, no, that's not true. That's a, forget about that part. And uh, yeah, well, we're not wearing masks now, but we did have to wear them to come in. Yeah, um, It's hard to eat with a mask. Um, so yeah, let's do this again sometime and have a really big gathering of crazy AvGeek APGers, okay? So Next on the uh, schedule of events is uh, John Kiernan Lewis. Hi, everybody. John. Some know me as JP. Uh, I grew up with uh, Captain Jeff's son. He's a best friend of mine from Atlanta. 
just out here talking aviation at Long Beach, looking at the uh, the mini ships and boats that are just sitting out here in the harbor and having a great time drinking new beers and eating French fries. It's been a great time. <laughs> That's pretty much it. In a time of quarantine, we gotta we gotta take what we can get, and this has been pretty great. So I'm gonna pass it on. Hi everyone. Uh, and this is. I'll be everyone. Hi. Hi. All right. This is Sanjal. I'm Jordan Bao's wife, and uh, it's been nice to meet Jeff and Steven and learn a lot of. And JP as well. And J- not, not so much JP. <laughs> and learn and learn a lot of new things about uh, flying. Uh, I've just been learning to fly and. Uh, I just got my instrument rating in March, and it's been nice to like learn from some real-time airline pilots about how it is to fly in the real world, you know? So I really am really happy to see you guys. So happy you decided to come out with your lovely husband, Jordan. And so I was just thinking, well, obviously your wife is much more beautiful than anybody <laughs> sitting at this table, for sure. Um, yeah, it almost gives us a little bit of street cred, you know, when people <laughs> walk by and they look at you and go, yeah, give you a thumbs up. <laughs> so we do appreciate that. Uh, so I was thinking when we were all talking, especially you uh, at the very end here, that we're all pilots. Now, JP would say, well, I'm not really a pilot. Well, he's got, do you have some time in your logbook? Technically on a one hour of sling two times. So. There you go. So you have a logbook. You're a student pilot. Yep. To me, in my book, that's a pilot. So, all right. So that's it. We're going to go ahead and wrap this up. A great time out here in Southern California. Hope to do it again soon. And now, back to you all in the studio. <laughs> Bye, Jeff. Shut up, Jeff. Shut up, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Very Jeff. good. Shut up, Jeff. Shut up. Jeff. Ah, am I still on speaker? Hmm. I don't know. You're still speaking. Speaker? Uh, mm-hmm. no, I'm not. I hear still you. Okay. Sounds weird for some reason. Anywho, <clears throat> yeah, I had a great time. Uh, we had a great time at Ballast Point Brewing in Long Beach. Hope to do it as I mentioned in the uh, audio. I uh, hope to have another meetup with more participants sometime in the they future. They do the grapefruit sculpin IPA and some other they do? similar ones. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. The sculpin, the grapefruit sculpin and several others. So yeah, very, um, yeah, very good stuff. Okay. That was that. And that, uh, evening, uh, Steven drove me to downtown Los Angeles to the, uh, Los Angeles union station. And I boarded, the uh, train, the uh, Sunset what? Limited, all aboard, <laughs> and uh, took the train. Uh, so that was Wednesday night. I think it left the station around ten o'clock, and um, spent the night. Uh, slept in in the morning. I think we had made it to somewhere in Arizona, Maricopa, I think, and uh, then all day long, uh, and then in the next night, and then all day the following day. So it was like about a two and a half day trip from Los Angeles to New Orleans. And again, uh, I did a, um, I think I just did one um, rail trip crew log. So again, and that's uh, open to the public. So 
please look for that. Go to patreon.com slash airline pilot guy and you can listen to that. But uh, uh, spent the night, got in, we were running a couple of hours late. These freight trains really gum up the system. I, I don't know what the priority is, but they have some kind of a system that uh, coordinates all the different use uh, privileges and scheduling of the rails. And uh, sometimes when there's a little bit of a bottleneck and you have to take a, a like a bridge over the Mississippi River, for instance, you have to take your place in line and wait for the people that are ahead of you uh, before you can move on. So we ended up getting to New Orleans a couple hour, couple of hours late. So I only got about four and a half hours of sleep that evening uh, before I had to be back out the next morning to ca- catch the uh, Crescent, uh, a different train from New Orleans to Atlanta. So. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a good trip overall. I'm I'm not sure if I'll do it again, <laughs> but um, it was an interesting experience for sure. Well, I guess I'm not I, I a train geek. I listened to some of your crew logs. I loved them, Jeff. They were brilliant. But I did note that the guy whose job it was to sound the the whistle, <laughs> the horn on the train, he just loved his job, didn't he? He was I mean, a little over exuberant. Yeah, right? it was it was just like nonstop. So I, I don't know how the hell you slipped through that. Well, luckily, the the two nights sleep, um, there weren't a lot of uh, larger cities that the train had to roll through. And so I guess when you don't have those crossings, um, they don't have to blow the horn. So um, fortunately, it wasn't like that the entire trip. When I was recording, it just so happened that we were in a more populated area with more grade crossings or whatever they call them. And they have to they're required to uh, to sound their horn for a warning Um, But the other thing I was going to say is that that Sunset Limited, the sleeper car, was right behind the two locomotives at the front. So, because of that, when they did blow the horn, you got to you got to hear it loud and clear. <laughs> yeah. It seems like and, poor placement. I mean, yeah, for people I who have so a place too. to sleep, wouldn't you want them yeah, farther away have, from the noise? They had two sleeper cars uh, toward the back of the train, but I'm glad I didn't use one of those because. In San Antonio, I think it was, they connected the train from that point and connected that part of the train to another train that was going up toward Chicago. Uh, so that would not have been good if I'd been in one of those sleeper cars because I was trying to get to New Orleans and then New Orleans to Atlanta. So just a little longer trip. That's yeah, all. a little bit longer trip. Yeah. So, yeah. The, the, you know, the, the, we have the same problem in this country. Our rail system is based on something that was built, you know, hundreds of years ago. Um, so I'm just thinking it'd be nice if they could get some modern technology and rather than the train blowing a horn, uh, a horn at the crossing blew as the train approached mm-hmm. because then you wouldn't hear it. And all the people at the crossing would. It wouldn't have to be so loud. That's true. But there you go. That's that's just me thinking. The other thing about being in that position, like the basically the first passenger car on the train, is that the diesel locomotive was like right ahead of the car, and I was, you know, uh, one of the one of the uh, rooms. Actually, there were. It was just me for for most of the train journey in that sleeper car uh, on the top level with a private room there was another couple behind me like the first night but then they i think they got off somewhere in texas and uh yeah and when i say got off well several different meetings uh, so, um, 
Uh, but they didn't. They didn't depart the train. They did leave the train um, <laughs> on the second day. Okay. Uh, but so I was basically the only one um, in the front part of the um, of the sleeper car. Uh, anyway, uh, the, the the diesel exhaust got to be a little exhausting. Uh, it was a much more pleasant uh, positioning of the sleeper car going from New Orleans to Atlanta. It was probably I don't know at least halfway back or maybe two thirds of the way back. So that was a much better experience. Didn't hear the uh, uh, the the train whistle going off incessantly. Okay. Oh, oh! Can I just um, go? Uh, it's now half past nine, and uh, Captain Nigel has just sent me a picture, uh, which uh -oh. has a time stamp on it: twenty second of July, twenty nineteen, last year, at exactly twenty one thirty. So I'm, I know what you guys were doing. You yep. were sharing a beer together. In we were the state of Wisconsin, a little town we by the name of, and we were Oshkosh. sitting on on camp chairs beside each other drinking beer on the flight line of Oshkosh and it was exactly this moment so I'm just having a little was that the know. night show or uh, no this is no. in broad daylight so it must oh, be okay. Okay. 21.30 UK time I oh, suspect okay. yeah, this, so, which is okay. now yeah I think later on that day um, it was, was the, the night, night. yeah Wednesday night mm -hmm. yeah exactly which is when I took that picture that's in my background Oh, okay. Because that was mm -hmm. me getting airborne on uh, during the night show. Very cool. You were uh, on that airplane? No. No, okay. I was taking pictures oh, of it. Oh, I see. Okay. A little misunderstanding my on my part. Um, <laughs> so, oh. I'd have been shooting down that airplane given <laughs> half a chance. It's a damn MiG. Oh, that's true. Well, yeah. unless you're a part of the Royal Canadian Air Force, uh, the plane tail from last week. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, great story that was. <laughs> the uh, what was I going to say? Oh, Liz reminds me that uh, those uh, crew logs are also available on Facebook and Twitter. So you just have to search from there for them there as well. All right. So got home on Saturday evening, and um, I did really well with social distancing and keeping away from the possible exposure to folks that might have COVID-19 uh, until that last day on the uh, train from New Orleans to Atlanta. The um, cabin steward was very friendly, and she decided to tell me her life story and took her mask off sitting on the, the couch in my private berth, and uh, then also explaining to me that her daughter is a, an emergency room uh, doctor at Tulane, and uh, had just had dinner with her the night before the train left that morning. And so she's talking to me. And I'm thinking, oh, emergency room doctor in Tulane. <laughs> That's not good. So no chance of COVID yeah, exposure no, there. No. So uh, I decided when I got home that uh, I would uh, quarantine myself for a couple of weeks. So here I am, hunkered down in the uh, bunker. So you hunker in the bunker. I'm hunkering in the bunkering. <laughs> <laughs> and uh that good thing it's probably not interfering with a lot of other plans at this point no not really i'm i don't have a lot on my schedule actually so yeah, yeah. okay not a, not a big deal well, good timing for it yeah it is yeah. it is all right so with that i can't think of anything else to talk about in uh, this section of the segment of the show except it's always a good time to talk about the coffee fund so let's bring in the jeff smith and he's going to sing our nice little coffee fun jingle. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. 
coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right. Thank you, Jeff Smith. He's awesome, by the way. Um, and speaking of awesome, we have some awesome folks in our coffee fund cadre. And since the last episode, we have recurring donations from Chris Randall and David Lieb. And we also have another way of doing it here in the coffee fund, and that is via Patreon. You, you can become a patron of the show. And since the last episode, just, I don't know, I just got this notification a couple of hours before we started recording the show. Eric Hignight, uh, H-I-G-N-I-G-H-T. I'm not sure if it's Hignight or Hignight. I don't know if the G is pronounced or not, but maybe Eric can send us some audio feedback sometime and let us know. Anyway, Eric has joined us. He's a new producer. So, yay. Thank you uh, for joining Patreon. And if you, dear listener, want to um, help us keep from taking on advertising and that kind of thing, uh, why don't you become part of our great coffee fund club, coffee bar club, coffee fund cadre, and whatever you want to call it. I don't care. Uh, and you can do that by heading over to airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. And we will, too. Number 17 in today's show is from Eric. Captain, incoming message. And the control room tells me that Eric actually sent us some feedback. It'll be uh, later in the show, so look forward to that. I hope he uh, pronounces his name. Does he pronounce his name, Liz? Sorry. Negative. No. <laughs> That's a negative. Oh, well. Let's start with our first feedback item in the feedback notebook from Captain Craig. He says, here you go, Jeff. Thanks and have a great day, Craig Pisic. So um, what he sent was a, um, I guess this is a PDF or some some JPEGs or something. I don't know. Um, of the um, Embraer 170-175 Airplane Operations Manual System Description Flight Controls, because we were having a discussion about that uh, uh, airplane in... About trim, right? Yeah. Well, I, there was the one in Portugal where they had misconfigured um, the ailerons, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm, we were mm -hmm. having a discussion. We weren't sure. We thought the airplane was followed by a wire, and he said, well, you, for the most part it is, but... Except for the ailerons. The ailerons are not fly-by-wire. They're fly-by-cable, as they are, and not quite exactly the same way as the Mad Dogs. So so we had uh, spoilers, rudder, elevator, a tailplane, and ailerons. It was a one-in-five chance of getting it wrong. And we did it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we did it. Yeah. Ding. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the opposite of ding. <laughs> but since Craig sent this in, now, see, he's, everybody in the community is just trying as hard as they can to keep us above that 50% accuracy. Yep. It's a lot of work. It them. is a lot Thanks, of work. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate it. Yes, we do. Uh, but we'll have this in the show notes. But anyway, the uh, I guess the, the yokes uh, are connected via cables to the... Uh, what were they called again? The power control, not power control units, but power. PCUs, yeah. power control units. Oh, flight is. control module. Or the flight or control PC. modules or something. Right. I don't know. They were called something different. But anyway, this little device that the cable is attached to is actually right there on the extremities of the Oh, uh, I, should have, I should have read a bit further down. Uh, Steph's quite right. The FCM flight control module. Okay. And that flight control module is actually connected to the, um, uh, or the, 
right next to the aileron surface. Uh, so it is hydraulically actuated, but it's you control it with the via cable. Yeah, via the cable. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, spoilers, as Captain Nick just mentioned, are actually fly by wire. Um, and most everything else in the control system on the airplane is. So um, interesting. Thank you for setting us straight, um, Captain Craig, who flies one of these jets. And so that's why he knew all about it. So we appreciate that. Ryan uh, writes, hi, APG crew. Ryan from Wichita. Again, I'm writing in reference to the dynamic B767200 fire at Fort Lauderdale International. Uh, Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood International, I should mention, uh, discussed in episode 430. Listening to the discussion regarding the miscommunication during the evacuation, which resulted in the engine still running during slide deployment, reminded me of the almost identical situation from the American Airlines Flight 383 fire and evacuation at Chicago O'Hare on October 28th, 2016. The NTSB report linked at the bottom of the email discussed the evacuation miscommunication, saying, quote, even with an unfolding emergency, there should have been better communication between the flight and cabin crews. The lack of communication resulted in the flight crew being unaware of the developing situation in the cabin and the flight attendants initiating an evacuation with the left engine still operating. If the left engine had been shut down earlier, the four left slide would have would have been available for evacuation sooner because the slide would not have been affected by the jet blast coming from the engine. Also, the only serious injury resulting from the evacuation, which, as previously stated, occurred when a passenger once on the ground was knocked down from the jet blast from the left engine, might have been avoided. The NTSB concludes that if the flight crew or the flight attendants had communicated after the airplane came to a stop, the flight crew could have become aware of the severity of the fire on the right side of the airplane and the need to expeditiously shut down the engines. Um, have a little bit of um, video of the evacuation of that American Airlines 767 that I'd like to share with everybody. Now, I think this evacuation video started after the person got severely injured from the jet blast from the uh, left engine. Um, but uh, it's an interesting video, I think, to see how everybody's getting out rather quickly and how the, I guess it would be the two left door at the back, uh, the slide being blown by the jet blast and then somebody, one of the passengers, I'm assuming, went over there and was able to grab onto it and kind of straighten the thing out and help everybody else get off. So they have all the exits on the left side of the aircraft in use, including the uh, overwing exits and slides. All right, so yeah, you can see the fire really getting bad on the right side of the airplane from here and people running away from the airplane. Again, if you're listening to the audio only, please make sure you visit the show notes and then you can uh, see this video. It looks like the uh, fire brigade is just now showing up. I hear the sirens getting stronger in the background and uh, looks like they responded within about two minutes, which is pretty quick, actually. It's a big, a big airport. Anyway, so let's go ahead and stop that one. Uh, thank you for sending in that video, uh, Ryan. Good stuff. 
It is, and it's not the only one. Um, Do you remember the 777 uh, at uh, Las Vegas, uh, British Airways? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Guy was just about to retire, rejected the takeoff after an engine failure, and uh, he also left an engine running during the evacuation. Yeah. Because they never completed the uh, evacuation checklist. Yeah, I remember us discussing that. Um, uh, Ryan goes on to say, the full report goes into more detail including the reasons for the lack of communication, which included the failure of multiple flight attendants to select the correct interphone buttons to call the flight deck. That's, I would, I would imagine that their training, uh, recurrent training probably emphasized how you call the flight deck. But that's one of those things where, you know, when you're under a higher level of stress than usual, um, unless Mm -hmm. it's really muscle memory, motor memory, um, it's easy to screw those things up. And usually the only the, the flight leader or head steward or whatever you are called sure, and, at your airline person or whatever is is the one that, you know, is familiar with that because they are communicating a lot. But if you're a flight attendant that doesn't normally uh, have that sort of position, then, yeah, you may not know exactly how to do that because you don't yeah. really need to. Yeah, I mean, it, also, I think some some of these interphones uh, don't make themselves very simple to operate, or the the people who design them, uh, they've got to remember a number code or something. Uh, instead of having a big red button that says "Captain" on it, which would of course be you know a no brainer. Why don't we think of doing things like that? Right, putting a little picture of the captain right there. Yeah, a handsome chap with a mustache. <laughs> exactly. Poor lady with a mustache. Poor no, lady with a mustache yeah, and full beard. Um, anyway, also included in the uh, show notes will be the NTSB investigation report and a link to that video that we just saw. Okay, uh, let's keep moving on here. Item number three, unusual aircraft recovery procedures. Captain Vanderberg. Now, mm. does that name sound familiar to you? It certainly does. Isn't he the little boy that put his finger in the dike? Exactly. No, that's not (laughs) Captain. I was going to go with uh, Children of the Magenta line. Yes. Yes. Uh, Children of the Magenta. Uh, He's the one that uh, was. Little Dutchman. Yeah, that Dutchman. Um, So it's Captain Warren Vanderberg. Uh, In this case, uh, well, anyway, Thomas said he found this this gem and uh, it's on YouTube. Unusual aircraft recovery procedures. Again, um, we'll have a link to that in the show notes for you to watch yourself. And an, um, it's an American Airlines Advanced Aircraft Maneuvering Program video about unusual aircraft recovery procedures presented by Captain Warren Vanderberg. Uh, concerning updated rudder technique, check out this aircraft design and operation leaflet for of use on rudder of Boeing aircraft. So there's a link within the link uh, regarding um, this uh, leaflet from... IFALPA, or International Federation of Airline Pilots Associations, the global voice of pilots, um, on the use of rudder on Boeing aircraft. And uh, so lots of good stuff in there. So thank you very much, Thomas. It's like a small novel. Yeah, um, it's a very large leaflet. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call it a leaflet either, but that's what they say on on the cover of this thing. Um, That's why I, I use that term. I normally don't use the term leaflet. Very often in every day. I was thinking know, of um, conversation in the movie Airplane when the one mm-hmm. passenger just wants something light to read. And she's like, I have this leaflet on famous <laughs> Jewish uh, sports uh, something or other. <laughs> what it was, it's that's, like one page of. 
stuff. That's offensive. I you can send that directly to me. That's fine. HR airline pilot guide. <laughs> yes, a direct quote. It wasn't your sentiment at all. Not it was at all from the movie Not at all. airplane. Actually, uh, sorry, Jeff. I was just going to say, looking at the still they took from the YouTube uh, video with that. Uh, what is that? A DC nine? It's a prob- It's probably a super eighty. Super 80. <laughs> There you go. Inverted. I thought if you want to generate a picture to terrify everybody, that's the yeah. one to do. That's and the actually, one. when he talks about recovery from unusual positions, uh, he talks about this very matter-of-factly while mm-hmm. he's look, describing how to get out of the most appalling. <laughs> and he's he's funny, too. You know, he just yeah. speaks in these little, like, one-liners of, uh, you know, yeah, he's got a he's got a great uh, instructional technique, and uh, mm-hmm. he speaks very clearly mm-hmm. and in real pilot speak. You know, yeah. nice no management stuff there. I was right. going to say a rude word. Uh, <laughs> it's stuff that you and I could understand. Thank you for making my editing easier <laughs> on this <laughs> episode. <laughs> Last one, I had to use two spots with the sensor uh, beep. Yeah, uh, one, one for one, one for Rick and one for Nick. Yes. Uh, well, Anybody each other? Slip. No, <laughs> what, different times, completely different times. Yeah, two two different subjects. Uh, so if your name uh, rhymes with "ick," um, <laughs> you you ended up having the sensor beep. Steph keeps track. Yes, she well, I'm does. Get a letter now. First, well, well, we'll HR have was a, paying attention. We'll have a meeting after the show today. There'll be a Fair phone enough. number he can call. Yeah, yeah. Are you ready to copy down this number? <laughs> do you have a pen? <laughs> do you have a pen? Or are you too busy, you know, doing I'm too the busy flying this podcast. Flying this podcast. Podcaster. Go away. Leave me alive. Pick it up. I'm a podcaster. Gosh darn it. I don't have time to write down your stupid number. All right. Thank you, Thomas, for that. Really good. I mean, I do recommend that you uh, watch the video. And if you haven't watched the uh, Children of the Magenta, uh, you should watch that one as well. In fact, that would be my number one choice for watch you. Watch that one first and then yeah. go watch this one. And then watch this yeah. one, Unusual and Aircraft Recovery. Like the Midwich Cuckoos. That's another good one. And then, <laughs> oh, then I was going to say the leaflet. Then the leaflet. You yeah, you can read the leaflet if you have sleep. a lot of time on your hands. Yeah. Have insomnia. So uh, Texas Charlie uh, sent in this. He says, howdy, y'all. Attached is, that's what they sound like in Texas. Howdy, y'all. Attached is what it uh, will look like when Jeff and Dana fly for the first time in months. And so he gave us a link to a Facebook post. So that means I'm going to have to hit the share screen button again. Mm -hmm. 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 This could drive me to drink. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I got it. Here we go. So this is Dana and I. We return to flying. Is that from Oshkosh? Well, it's one of those night shows, but uh, uh-huh. displays. I don't remember that being at Oshkosh because I don't remember the laser. Yeah, very, very, very nice. So, of course, we'll have half to check the it audience out. are blind now. But... 
unfortunately. Yeah, the pilot as well. Yeah. That's why he can't seem to uh, travel in a straight line. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it was all brilliant. over the place, up, down. Now, what was he refer- referring to? That's how you will be flying the aircraft, like in those unusual attitudes, or just it's, I celebra- think so, celebratory with some fireworks and lasers? I, I'm not sure exactly Maybe what he both. means. He said that it will. this is what it's going to look like. And uh, if, it, if that's what it's going to look like, uh, Texas Charlie, then it'll be Dana and my last flight. Yep. Your passengers or will be slightly forever. concerned. Yeah. But it would be really super cool if we had fireworks and lasers coming out of the airplane. That would that would be awesome, actually. Now, I haven't actually done a lot of studying yet for the Boeing 717, but perhaps that is one of the options. So they'll have to look into that. Firework option? Yeah. It's a different chapter. Rave I think. option? <laughs> yeah, that's right. With very large speakers on the outside of the jet as well. Well, just don't get it confused with the chemtrail option. No. But Let's like I told make- you, we weren't going to talk about that. All right. Um, item five, moving quickly on. Uh, Steve sent in some audio feedback regarding single engine operations on the ground. So take it away, Steve Hurst. Hi, APG crew. This is Steve from Mexico City. Been a long time listener. I think I joined you on. Wait a minute. The t- that does not sound like a Mexico City accent to me. Does it to you? Uh, it's Mexico City uh, in Yorkshire. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I misunderstood. Yeah. Hi, APG crew. This is Steve from Mexico City. Been a long time listener. I think I joined you on the 220s, 230s, something like that, and really enjoy the show. So. Thank you from me for all the work you do uh, to, with the uh, show and all the work you do for the APG community. Really appreciate it. And uh, I've sent some feedback in before, and so really appreciate the time that you take to, to read that and, and answer some of my questions. So thank you. Thought I'd have a go at an audio feedback. It's uh, my first one, so apologies in advance if I waffle on too long or stuff this up. But anyway, here we go. So I wanted to ask a question about single engine operations on the ground and I believe I, re- I remember a, a discussion around this a few shows ago um, but I think that was more in the context of single engine taxi after arrival and as a frequent flyer certainly it's something I'm more used to these days hearing them shut down the engine after you've arrived and you're taxiing on one engine so that, that's quite normal but one uh, abnormal uh, situation that I experienced about a year ago uh, was on a flight out of Mexico City up to San Francisco um, with United. It was, a, I think it was an A320, uh, could have been a 737, I can't remember, but and I don't know whether the type of aircraft has a bearing on, on single engine operations and systems issues and things like this, but Anyway, it was a it was a United flight up to San Francisco. It was a late morning departure, which is always a busy time uh, out of Mexico City. And uh, we pushed back from the gate and taxied out. And I noticed uh, when I heard them start the engine that I, I could only hear one running. I didn't hear the, the second engine start. And as a frequent flyer, you get used to the, the sounds and the, the bumps and the bangs and what's normal. And, and I just, yeah, just happened to notice that the second engine hadn't been started. And we taxied out onto the main runway. Uh, sorry, the main taxiway. And there's a long, long line of, of aircraft in front of us. And uh, we 
probably waited 35 minutes before we were getting to the point where it was our turn, just a few aircraft in front, and at that point they started the engine and, and off we went. So all good, uh, but it just got me thinking around what are some of the issues that, uh, that single engine taxiing before departure present to you as pilots, um, some of the potential operational and procedural implications and and your views just in general on this and do you like it is it something that you you, you don't like doing um and and why um i guess there's there's some procedures that you have to follow that are different to the norm which may add to the stress um prior to departure um i i, I guess that your company will have some guidance around when you should consider single engine um, taxiing before departure and I, 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 I can imagine that it relates to um, if you're expecting a long wait so they'd much rather you only have one engine running because that way you save fuel and and we reduce noise and environmental considerations um, and that was certainly I think the case in in my in my experience on this flight where you know we waited a long time before before we got to go um, so, but I, but like I say, I'd be be interested in on the procedural side um, what what difference this makes, and uh, you know, with only one engine running, uh, you've got some presumably some of the hydraulic systems not up and running yet, and and other and other things that you've got to think about, and then as you're getting close to the front of the line, you're thinking about timing and and you know not wanting to get caught out, not being ready, and not got your engine started in time and your checks completed before the clearance comes to, to take off. Um, so all of that, um, I would imagine adds to, adds to the workload and the stress and the planning that you've got to do. And then, um, from a passenger perspective, I thought about, you know, well, how would I, f how would I have felt if, uh, you know, having, having thought we're almost ready to go and waited all that time taxiing, uh, I wouldn't have been very happy if, if suddenly the pilot came on and said, well, sorry, but we've realized we've got a technical problem. We can't start the second engine and we've got to go back to the gate and, and troubleshoot it. And it's not a common thing, I know, and but I, I can think of a few occasions where I have been on a flight and there's been a technical issue getting an engine started and they've had to push back onto the gate and get, get someone on board to troubleshoot it. And, you know, it's... it's uh, it's an inconvenience and a delay, but, but these things happen. We all understand that. But um, I think it would have been even more frustrating if you'd spent all that time waiting in line and, and you know, spent 40 minutes thinking you're just about good to go. And then, oh, we can't start the engine. We've got to go back to the stand. So not, not a great customer experience either. Um, but, you know, these things have to be balanced with uh, with the... The, the cost considerations of, of not wanting to sit on the ground for a long time, burning fuel uh, unnecessarily on two engines when you could you could just be on one engine. So I understand it, and, and yeah, just just welcome your your thoughts on this and uh, and how you feel about it as pilots and and some of those operational issues and considerations. So that's it from me. Uh, thank you for for taking the time to to consider this feedback uh, for the show and. Uh, and look forward to, to hearing your answers to it. And with that, I wish you all blue skies, tailwinds, and all that stuff. Thanks. Thank you, Steve. Uh, great question, actually. Um, and I would surmise that 
the answer that I'm going to give is going to be a little bit different than uh, Captain Nick's answer because of the the mission or operation um, that we deal with is a little bit different long haul versus the short haul uh, four engines engines versus two etc so i'm going to let captain nick start off uh, okay uh, first of all steve i don't really think you come from yorkshire it was just the first place that came to mind <laughs> <laughs> didn't really sound like a strong yorkshire accent that's for sure um yeah uh interesting because of course uh, i did the majority of my flying uh, we didn't have this consideration. And then uh, fuel prices changed, and uh, eventually um, the company managed to get permission from Airbus to do uh, what in the 340 was a two-engine taxi um, because there are a lot of uh, systems that don't start running uh, if you only start half the aircraft up. Uh, and you've got to make sure that uh, if, for example, a hydraulic system failed, that controls the brakes and you don't have the other engines running that would provide your backup, what happens to Does the aircraft just keep running? You know where to stop it. And so an awful lot of considerations uh, about uh, what systems you don't have available and how it affects the safety during a taxi. Uh, they eventually sorted most of that out. Uh, now, the biggest problem I had was that um, when you are uh, on a taxi out, the duties are evenly split. So the guy who's steering the airplane is looking out to make sure you don't bump into things. And we all know how often it happens that you can touch wingtips. It, you know, well, it's a weekly occurrence, but it's almost certainly a monthly occurrence uh, that uh, airplanes manage to dink each other, and it's incredibly expensive. So one guy's always head out the steering. And the other chap is really responsible for the radio and the navigation to make sure he tells him where to turn um, so that you don't get lost. A little easier nowadays with moving maps and things, but certainly it's still not beyond the uh, realm of possibility because you've still got to interpret air traffic's uh, navigation requirements on the ground, which taxiways to take. Now, as soon as you start the procedure to fire up the remaining two engines, you've got to get the timing right because it's not uh, uncomplicated. And uh, you've also got to bear in mind that the engines you're about to start up need at least a five-minute warm-up time to prevent thermal shock um, when you uh, open them up. Some engines might even need more. Um, but effectively, uh, the guy that is uh, doing the navigation of the radio is now solely responsible for winding up the two remaining engines, uh, which means the guy that's now steering is also working the radio and also working out where to go, uh, which in an unfamiliar airport is uh, not good. Even in a familiar airport, I mean, I managed to take the wrong turning at my home base, for heaven's sake, when uh, I misinterpreted a taxiway instructions during the engine start. So anyway, that you've got to get the uh, engines wound up, and then you have to go through the after-start checklist, uh, the flight control check, and the full pre-takeoff checklist, both above and below the line, before you can line up and take off. Uh, and that is just busy. I mean, it really means for the last seven or eight minutes before you actually get airborne, you are both pretty much non-stop. And I always found that a vulnerable time because there are an awful lot of uh, safety-critical items 
being checked, uh, done and checked during that period. And because you're also busy and you can see the end of the runway coming up and you're concerned now, perhaps you might not have enough time to warm the engines up or get everything done, you're work going at flat, getting flat chat. Uh, which was never good. So if ever I had a, an excuse to taxi uh, on all four engines, I would take that because uh, I just thought this is this we're leading ourselves into an area here where we could much easy more easily make a mistake than we used to under the old procedures. But of course, uh, you've got to go with. Uh, the way um, the world is going, because you, all the time you've got all the engines running, you're just wasting fuel, not just the cost, but you're churning out carbon dioxide uh, at ground level into uh, the air that kids breathe and people, passengers breathe, everyone breathes around the airport. So you really want to keep that to an absolute minimum. So I see arguments both ways. The problem is that we're dealing with airplanes and procedures that weren't specifically designed around a uh, single or in a four-engine airplane to an engine taxi, to engine taxi. Uh, the next generation of airplanes, hopefully, they'll be much slicker uh, about being able to do this, and it'll be a lot simpler. You won't have to have this huge string of checks to be done after you complete all the engine starts uh, that make you safe to take off. Um, so that's it, really. It's a pros and cons, and uh, I see both sides of the argument. Uh, as regards what happens to the passenger, passengers, do they should they get or feel justified in getting upset if you have a problem after the engine start? No, I'm sorry, you can have a problem at any time. Uh, we could have all sorts of things that might prevent us from taking off. The least of which would be probably uh, after engine start. Yes, there's a slight oh. increase uh, li liability uh, because you're firing up those engines for the first time. But whether you're just pushed off the terminal or whether you're two or three miles across the airfield when it happens, it's, if it happens, you're still going to be inconvenienced. Uh, so, you know, suck it up. I'm sorry. That's, that's I have a passenger complaint, but I'll get to my complaint after. Okay. Is it a crew complaint or a passenger complaint? Mm, as a passenger complaint. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I knew that our answers were going to be different. Again, uh, long haul airplane or kind of uh, airline that Nick used to fly for and an airline that does both long haul and very short haul um, types of flights. And most of my experience at Acme has been on smaller airplanes um and basically we've been doing single engine taxi procedures it's it's normal it's common it's uh, since i was hired back 31 and a half years ago 3100 so years ago is that what you're no, th 31 and a half years ago not 300 <laughs> and yeah um so yeah the the entire time that i've been flying for acme airlines single engine procedures have been quite common at least on the the, the mid-range airplanes and uh, and smaller. And uh, the bigger ones back in that first decade uh, that I was with Acme uh, were ones that never really, they were encouraged to do the procedure, but very few ever did. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with, and I think Captain Nick would agree with me, uh, the weight of these long-haul flight, the, the aircraft weight is is getting close to the, you know, the max uh, taxiing weight, the max takeoff weights. 
And, you know, if you don't have all your engines running, uh, you're going to be running up the engines that you do have uh, quite high. And that's another, you know, risk factor, uh, blowing yeah, things over. Of course, you're using fuel that you would otherwise have saved. So there's right. no saving. So, uh, but our company has always stressed that when, when it's reasonable, um, plan on using the, the single engine taxiing proceed. Now in the 727, uh, the most of the time it was two engines. Uh, we had three engines on the airplane. A lot of, and that was mainly uh, because there were a lot of cases where uh, it just only having one engine running on the 72 just wasn't enough power really to get the thing moving around. Um, so you know, two engines was pretty pretty normal, and then start the third one um, in time to get a good warm up on it. Now the airplanes that I've flown, Nick, uh, three minutes has been the um, the, the warm-up time, uh, unless the engine hadn't been operated for more than three hours, I believe. Uh, and in, in case, that was probably every flight for you um, or most of the flights for you. Yeah. For for us, you know, uh, we're on the ground for 45 minutes to an hour and a half or whatever. And so we always fell within that. The engine's still warm. So we only have to get the uh, – actually, it wasn't even three minutes at first. But now, over time, they've uh, extended it to a three-minute warm-up time. Uh, and that is one of those things you have to consider. Uh, you have to kind of be um, – clairvoyant sometimes to figure out exactly because if you have a couple different ways to access the takeoff portion of the runway you're not always sure what your sequence is going to be and of course sometimes somebody ahead of you might have an issue right at the last moment and they say we're going to have to take ourselves out of the sequence and then they say okay acme 431 you're uh you're up next and you're going oh crap <laughs> let's get this thing started and the other risk and i think somebody mentioned this in the chat room is that there's always the risk that uh you've forget to start that second engine or third engine or however many engines you have that one that's not operating that needs to be uh for takeoff because all the takeoff data is is uh, based upon having all of your engines running uh, in normal uh, situations mm -hmm. so um you know you'll hear that occasionally somebody's aborting a takeoff or have to return you know leave the runway for whatever reason and they'll probably come up with some excuse and not admit that they didn't have their engine started they started rolling down the oh, oh oh yeah we should probably start that right engine yeah we probably should uh so you know that's that's another risk factor uh somebody also mentioned the fact that um de depending on the airplane um you know usually when we're single engine taxiing out we have the uh auxiliary power unit the apu running and that also aids in keeping the uh, air conditioning packs running and cooling the aircraft especially important this time of year when it's very very hot in the northern hemisphere um, and some airplanes with the APUs do better jobs at it than others. Um, but you certainly wouldn't want to be taxiing out with just one engine and not an APU because, you know, here in the Southeast, uh, it would be very uncomfortable Toasty. in the airplane. Mm -hmm. So that's also a consideration as well. So anytime we're, we're on a flight that, uh, is, is getting close to our maximum, um, weight for takeoff and it's hot, um, and other considerations that you know we could we could spend another hour on this just one subject uh might require or might necessitate in a captain's mind that let's go ahead and start up all the engines um so i mean steve's point regarding you know not knowing whether or not you're going to have an issue starting up the engine that is not running uh that i guess is a factor but i think captain nick kind of addressed that pretty well you know if you 
if you're going to have the issue, you're going to have it at some point, and it's maybe just a little bit more of an inconvenience if you if you don't find out until you're about ready for takeoff. So from a passenger standpoint, and this is a very serious complaint, and it's actually only applicable to the, uh, or mostly applicable to the A320 series, that silly barking dog woof, sound woof, when woof, the woof, power woof. transfer unit for the hydraulics comes on when you're doing single engine taxi. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So, no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's the only complaint I had. It is. <laughs> and I hope no one's, if you're Well, I mean, it is an unusual noise when you hear it for the first time. You really do think it, like there are dogs yeah. in the in the cap or cargo hold that are barking. It does have that kind of distinctive I'm totally kidding sound. Being a, yeah. yeah. Gosh, when it's a, you know, when there's a super long wait to take off and taxiing forever and it's like you're sitting right by where that power transfer unit is near that's near the wings, right? Yeah. Um yeah. It's just sometimes pretty loud. Now I think uh something to consider the um if we start both of the engines on a two engine airplane um usually unless it's really really hot um we'll probably end up shutting down the auxiliary power unit to save some fuel but just to give you an idea the the auxiliary power unit and at least in all the airplanes that i've flown burn like a tenth of the fuel of an idling engine that you use for propulsion at least a tenth of the rate of fuel uh, or less so it really, and this is a figure that they gave us probably 20 years ago that just one gallon saved, one gallon of fuel saved on, on a flight for the entire fleet for a year is like $20 million. I'm sure now that's probably much higher than that for our airline, but you know, it does add up. Um, so every bit of fuel that you can save, but for me, the comfort of the passenger is always higher up in priority than how much it's costing us to operate the airplane. So, you know, if it, if it comes to saving a little fuel to, you know, make our profit sharing check a little bit larger or making the passengers more comfortable, I'm always going to side with passenger comfort. So that's the way I yeah, run it. After all, no. they're the ones that choose your airline perhaps for that very reason. And you'd reason. think that uh, everybody would think that same way, but they don't. <laughs> Beaten that one to death? Yeah, I think we did. Uh, Pretty close. Good. I wish I had a beating dead horse um, sound effect. I need to come up with one of those. But uh. mm, that sounds <laughs> disturbing. <laughs> yeah. I, don't really to see, I don't really want to. I don't really want to hear that one, Jeff. Day, okay. whack. Day. <laughs> yeah. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> we'll be soon. <laughs> All right. Ooh, well, with that, you know what? It's uh, now time for the best part of the show, which is. Of course, everybody knows the old pilot's plane tales. The old pilot's plane tales. U-134. In 1941, the German Navy commissioned its latest submarine, the U-134, and as it slid out of harbour to join the 5th U-boat flotilla, Captain Lieutenant Rudolf Schendel keenly anticipated the mission ahead. A first patrol took the U-boat to the north coast of Norway and in the freezing temperatures of December he attacked a four-ship convoy. The ships were in two columns and despite the dark Schendel managed to target the second ship of the left-hand column with two torpedoes. A little after 9pm, the second torpedo struck the vessel amidships and 
Shortly after, it sank into the ice-laden sea. The mood aboard the U-boat was buoyant after the success of the attack, and the radio operator rapped out a report to Naval Command that they had sunk a steamer of 4,000 tons. A mere three hours later, the self-congratulatory euphoria on the boat was replaced with dismay as a shocking reply was received. Not only had the submarine crew overestimated the ship's tonnage by doubling it, but the vessel sunk had been the German steam merchant vessel Steinbeck, part of a German convoy escorted by armed trawlers. An investigation by the Navy High Command concluded that Schendel had made the incomprehensible mistake of thinking that it was possible for an enemy convoy to sail so close to German-occupied North Norway, and placed full responsibility on his head. The commander of U-boats, Admiral Hans-Georg von Friedberg, was more sympathetic, concluding that the commander should not be blamed because he lacked information about sailing times and positions of German ships in that area, and it was the first patrol of the U-boat, and the commander was in a new combat area of the Arctic waters. Whatever, the result wasn't an auspicious start for Steinbeck or his boat, but he would remain in command until early 1943, when he was relieved by the man who would take the submarine to its grave. You may be wondering why this Type 7C U-boat should feature in a plane tale, but bear with me, as I introduce the K-74, built a year after the U-134. The K-74 came from a company with an interesting origin, the Goodyear Zeppelin Corporation. In Britain and parts of Europe, the name Zeppelin would forever be linked with the death and destruction wrought on cities like Paris by bombing from the huge German airships made by Zeppelin. Before the First World War, civilians, particularly in Britain, had largely been unaffected by war, but as the German armed forces became increasingly deadlocked in the trench warfare that characterised the Great War, these vast flying machines could take the war to the heart of the enemy by attacking them in their homes. A report from Major General Ferrier, who commanded the defences around the city of Halt, reads, My staff officer went outside and saw a zeppelin overhead, very distinct against a clear sky, at a height estimated by him as 3,000 feet. He saw three bombs dropped. As each one left the Zeppelin, the airship was clearly lit up. He then reported to me, and I heard five explosions, and I saw from my window that two fires had started. The Zeppelin had passed over, dropping 32 bombs on Hull City. The casualties up to date are 19, five men, nine women, and five children killed, and 24 seriously wounded. The anger, panic, loss of morale and chaos played into Germany's strategic use of Zeppelins. The British public were now caught on the front line of the war, and they were beginning to understand that war was not glorious, 
when inflicted on civilians who couldn't fight back. The Germans' tactics of attacking cities became known as total war and was, perhaps more so nowadays, considered detestable. Following the surrender of Germany and the conclusion of World War I, the Allies demanded that the Zeppelin airships be handed over as war reparations and compensation from the aggressor. Restrictions were placed on aircraft construction, which brought the company's work to a halt. However, to get around them, the Zeppelin company found a willing partner in the United States, the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, and in 1924, the Goodyear Zeppelin Corporation was formed. German engineers and technical staff relocated, and the chief engineer of the Zeppelin Company became the vice president of engineering. Using its German expertise, the company subsequently constructed rigid and non-rigid dirigibles for the United States military in their giant hangar constructed at Akron, Ohio. At the time, the largest building in the world without internal support. By now, Zeppelins sporting Nazi swastikas were being constructed in Germany, and as the Second World War broke out, Goodyear dropped the name Zeppelin from their title. Finally, in 1941, the company dissolved their joint venture. They did, however, continue to build airships for the US Navy, including the K-Class Blimp. This family of aerostats was only one of a series used by the US Navy at the start of the Second World War. The original pair of TC-class, made to experiment with the concept of parasitic fighter aircraft used to unhook and defend the airship, were attained from the Army. They had four K-class, which were designed as patrol ships, and four training ships, three small L-class and a single G-class. When the U.S. entered the war in 1941, most of these craft were quickly pressed into service to deter Japanese and German submarines which were attacking shipping close to the American coast. These ten blimps, and I use the term with confidence since Goodyear themselves refer to their non-rigid ships this way, were soon bolstered by the construction of 154 more. The civilian airships that Goodyear had used for advertising and such also took on war roles, in some cases before they were officially commissioned into service, requiring them to operate as privateers, something that hadn't been done since the War of 1812. The Navy blimp squadrons were mainly used to patrol and as anti-submarine ships. They were equipped with magnetic anomaly detectors and radar, and some were even flown to Gibraltar to help search out German submarines there. The PBY flying boats had been searching those waters, but the magnetic detectors needed to be flown at very low level to operate well, which was particularly difficult at night. The Goodyear blimps were considered a perfect solution, since they could fly low and stay on patrol for long periods, providing a detection barrier by night while the PBYs flew by day. I suspect that a long patrol wasn't too arduous for the nine-man blimp crew, 
since the control car was equipped with a General Electric combined grill stove and oven, a Manning Bowman coffee percolator, an Everhot roasterette, and a toaster of unknown manufacture. More importantly, the K-Class was armed with a 50 calibre Browning machine gun and four 350-pound Mark 47 depth charges. With the two Pratt & Whitney 425 horsepower radial engines clattering away noisily on the other side of the gondola, the 250-foot-long airship could crack on at a maximum speed of 78 miles an hour, but it usually cruised at a slightly more sedate 60 miles an hour. However, it was able to stay airborne for over 38 hours and had a range of more than 2,000 miles. The crewmen consisted of a co-pilot, a navigator, two aviation machinists, three radio men, an aviation ordnance man and a seaman, all of whom came under the command of the pilot. Three years after the U-134 first sailed into battle, sinking one of its own ships, it would begin its last patrol. It sailed from the submarine pens at La Rochelle, set out around the north coast of Spain and out into the Atlantic. Cruising towards the Azores, it took a wide detour around them, as although Portugal was still a neutral country, Britain was concluding an agreement to lease airfields on the island from where it would base anti-submarine aircraft, which would become a vital turning point in the Battle of the Atlantic. Picking up its original track, the U-boat continued its voyage towards the southern tip of Florida. On the 8th of July, as it passed south of Bermuda by day and on the surface, it was spotted and attacked by an aircraft from the US Navy Squadron VP-20. Despite receiving several hits from the submarine's guns, John Hitchcock, piloting the Martin PBM Mariner, attacked the U-boat. On his approach, the front turret's guns jammed, but he continued to press the attack despite receiving hits from the U-boat. Then the German anti-aircraft shells struck an engine before spraying around the inside of the PBM's open bomb bay. They smashed the bomb release mechanism, causing all eight depth charges to drop in a cluster some 300 yards short of the U-boat. As the marauder passed overhead, the tail gunner fired and a remarkable photograph taken at that moment shows the U-134 straddled by bomb explosions and bullet splashes in the water made by the tail gunner. Badly shot up and on one engine, the PBM limped back to Bermuda, whilst the submarine continued on its westward journey towards a historic encounter. Fifty-eight days had passed and the U-134 had yet to sink a ship, when on the 18th of July 1943 she arrived in the Straits of Florida. As she did, the US Navy airship K-74 was being readied for departure from Naval Air Station Richmond, just south of Miami. At 7pm the blimp was launched and they headed south by southwest from the starting point of Key Biscayne. The mad equipment was on, looking for small changes in the Earth's magnetic field that might indicate the large metal presence of a submarine, 
but approaching midnight it was the radar operator who first saw the U-134 about eight miles away. The boat was on the surface after venting the stale air from inside and allowing the crew to enjoy some time topside in the warm tropical air, but now it was homing in on some nearby merchant ships. The large, slow-moving airships were always going to be vulnerable to anti-aircraft fire, so standing orders required the K-74 to stay out of range of surfaced submarines. Their job was to report their presence and to guide aircraft or ships into attack. But seeing the U-134's proximity to the merchantman, Lieutenant Grills disregarded his orders and brought his crew to battle stations. Closing in on the radar blip at 500 feet, the airship sighted a wake below them. The pilot manoeuvred so as to keep the airship down moon from the contact, and they trailed up the wake. Within a few minutes they'd sighted the submarine itself, but they were unsure if it was American or German, so they circled around in cloud to look again. This time they decided to approach and if the submarine attacked them, they would know it was German. At 250 feet, they commenced a run, and then the U-134 opened fire. The bright yellow-orange flashes from the boat's stick guns took away any indecision. This was the enemy. The airship gunner opened fire with his 50 caliber machine gun as the German gunners began to smash the airship's plexiglass windshield. The U-boat captain turned to make his boat the slimmest target he could whilst his gunners peppered the blimp, hitting the starboard engine and throwing the airship into a sideways drift. Down below, the Germans were having misfires and their defence became erratic whilst the airship's gunners saw numerous strikes from his weapon on the submarine's hull. As they neared the boat, Lieutenant Grills ordered bombs away, but the bombardier failed to hear him, and he was forced to repeat the command. Now almost on top of the U-boat, the Germans were firing point-blank up at the airship. It went out of control. It reared up onto its tail, with the nose of the blimp pointing skywards. The crew were thrown about as it began to gain altitude, rushing up to around a thousand feet, accompanied by severe shaking. With his craft threatening to overturn, the pilot jettisoned the slip tanks and the blimp stabilised, but below them the U-boat continued to fire. Severe damage was done to the outer and inner envelopes, the rudder and elevator were shot away, and the airship was going down tail first. They jettisoned what they could, sent distress messages, but at 23.57 the tail touched the water and the propeller blades sliced into the sea. This odd little battle was over. The U-boat reported receiving damage to ballast tank 5 and diving tank 4, and continued her patrol, but now the Navy was hunting her. The next day a Ventura bomber attacked the boat, and they suffered more damage, this time to the batteries. She was ordered to return to base, and despite another attack by Wildcats and Avengers from the USS Croatian, almost managed to get there. The U-134 was finally sunk with all hands by depth charges from the British frigate HMS Robber.
the crew of Blimp K-74 the only airship to be shot down during the war swam away from their sinking machine knowing that the remaining depth charges would explode as it went below the surface. They hung on to the remains of the gas bags for some hours until they were spotted by a Widgeon seaplane. The aircraft directed surface ships to the rescue but sadly just before they could be dragged aboard, the bombardier was attacked by a shark and he vanished in a crimson froth of blood. Initially, Lieutenant Grills and his crew were criticised for attacking the submarine against standing orders. But in 1961, Grills was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross and his crew Navy Commendation Medals after German records revealed that the K-74 had actually damaged the U-boat. It took 54 years for the family of Stessel, the only airship crewman to be killed by enemy action in the war, to posthumously receive his Purple Heart. Wow, what a story. Uh, and thanks to Mayman Micah for digging out that story of Blimp versus Submarine. That was fascinating. And the Blimp lost. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> I'm very quickly. Not surprising. Funny enough, the um, that particular U-boat, um, Mark, uh, used to have a big cannon on the front and a relatively small uh, anti-aircraft uh, pair of uh, oilicans or whatever. Um but uh, by that point in the war, they decided that uh, sinking ships by using uh, a cannon on the deck was uh, not the best way to use their submarines. So they took that cannon off and replaced them with big anti-aircraft guns. Um, so uh, the, <laughs> the poor, the poor blimp didn't have a, a lot coming for it. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. No, it was uh, it was pretty vulnerable. Uh, a brave effort, I thought of them to uh, try and attack them, at least divert the the U-boat from its attack on their own merchantman, uh, which saved lives. Uh, and mm -hmm. ultimately, uh, only one of them died, and that was because you have some pretty nasty sharks around there. Apparently, yeah, not a great place for swimming with the with the sharks. Mm -hmm. No, but or maybe uh, it is a good place. A, a, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a, a, a poignant story, um, um, particularly since the U-boat crew really didn't achieve anything on that last uh, voyage and went down with all hands, over 40 uh, men mm. um, wow. on the way. In fact, by that time in the war, we'd got on the upper hand, uh, I think, on the struggle against the uh, wolf packs and uh, their U-boats were being sunk regularly. But, um, you know, a lot of people would say that's nothing compared with the uh, merchantmen who drowned in the Atlantic uh, when they had their um, vessels blown from under them as they tried to get across. Absolutely. Hmm. Oh, yes. Um, Zeppelin. What's this of letting Zeppelin join Goodyear? Who let that happen? <laughs> in better terms. Back in those days, <laughs> times have changed. So good, so good that they they've rejoined Goodyear and Zeppelin, uh, rejoined as a company in I think ninety five, 
and they continue to work as a combined company to this day. I think. I think it has a lot to do with the beer at the time in the U.S. was crap, actually, and um, they thought maybe they could get some better selections of beer from the Germans. What float across on a zeppelin? Yeah, why not? <laughs> you know, it has something to do with. Beer. I mean, there's a lot to you know. There's a lot to foreign relations that happens over beer, obviously. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, if you say so. I mean, is Akron uh, uh, an area where you get a lot of German beer? Um, German-style beer? But if the people coming in from Germany uh, bring some with them, then? Uh, yeah, that okay. actually, that area of the country, uh, there are a lot of uh, lager breweries up that way. Uh, it's not too far from Cleveland. Um, mm -hmm. Akron, Canton is just to the south-southeast, I would say, from the Cleveland area. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. I think I there are a lot correct. of uh, Well, we German know Micah uh, loves his uh, airships. Uh, so he's he's sent me quite a few uh, airship stories. Do you mean aerostats? Uh, um, well, I mean blimps. <laughs> I mean gas bags. I think we've had. Oh, no, that's not <laughs> a nice way to refer to Micah. <laughs> wow. Sorry, Micah. But uh, I think Micah is going to try and insist it's a semi-rigid uh, airship. Yeah, I think... But, We've uh, had this discussion before. We have. <laughs> Goodyear themselves refer to them as blimps. Yeah. So I, I took advice from the manufacturer, my main man, Micah. Yep. I, I And you made that very can't, clear. In, can't refute that. In the uh, plain tale. I noticed that. I'm thinking, oh, well, I know why you're saying that. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I don't like falling foul of Micah's terminology quirks. Even if he is, uh, what did you call him, a gas bag? Okay. <laughs> Just kidding, Micah. That's <laughs> Nick at AirlinePilotGuy.com. I'm offended. Uh, I am too. I'm offended. I'm offended that you're all offended. AirlinePilotGuy.com. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's quickly move on. We only have, uh, well, it's under an hour remaining, about 40 minutes. Um, let's quickly do six. Um, hello, APG crew. This is from Carl. Uh, definitely suffering from APG syndrome, but I've started to find uh, started finding issues getting comfortable while listening. I'm it, I'm very clear about the safety concerns around takeoff and landing in a passenger plane, but why can I not put down the tray table during an APG episode? As there is no other crew member instruction, I've been sitting straight up despite having many different options to recline while listening. Could you explain the safety concerns with reclining and using the tray table while listening? Radio Roger makes it very clear at the beginning, that this is expected, though I'm glad I don't smoke or I'd have concerns about lighting up in the restroom. Keep up the great work and best wishes to Captain Dana during his approved leave of absence. Blue side up unless acrobatic maneuvering is approved by the manufacturer. Carl. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. That's cute. Seems like we're always forgetting to turn off that uh, fasten seatbelt sign during the that show, aren't we? one of the hardest things. Is that on our checklist? No, it's not on our checklist, unfortunately. No checklist. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's airman ship. Mm. True. So just, I would maybe wait 10 or 15 minutes, uh, Carl, and if you haven't heard from us uh, at that point, then go ahead and uh, take the tray table out and recline your seat. Get comfortable. As long as it's smooth sailing on the show. That's right. You know, if there's yeah. been a bunch of like false starts and go arounds, yeah. maybe just stay seated for yeah. a little Wait for longer. everything to settle down. <laughs> yeah. All right. If someone forgot to hit record. Yeah, no, that never yeah. happens. Shut up. I Shut think up, we should actually have some uh, <laughs> some announcements uh, that we could play during the show, telling people when it's safe to yeah. do that. Actually, that's a good idea. That is a great idea. Yeah, we'll uh, bumpers we'll right again on the breakup that. segments. Yeah, 
Nick, that sounds like a great Nick idea. Nick has volunteered to record some. <laughs> oh. You don't I want mean, English bumpers, do you? Sure. You want no, American, American bumpers. Good point. Yeah. I'll record some. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move to seven. Um, good morning, crew, or afternoon, or evening, or whatever time it is where you are. This message is coming to you from sunny Sicily by a recently relocated RCAF member doing his time alongside NATO. While listening to the follow-up on the Snowbird crash in Georgia, I felt I could provide some insight into what was probably happening at the time of the crash. Before changing to an aircrew job in the military, I spent 10 years at the home of Snowbird's spring training, uh, Charlie Yankee, Quebec, Quebec, as a PAR GCA controller. From my understanding, the crash occurred during a practice for an upcoming show. Yes. What the crew does is take take off, excuse me, then run through a shakeout at low level to ensure everything is operating and responding as expected. I'm not going to pretend to know the exact reason it's done at low level, but I imagine it's done to stay below sight lines, but within the protected airspace of the NOTAM. As for the ejection seat debate, the majority of the unfortunate issues with the two-door uh, tend to involve ancillary portions of the seat, parachute, buckles, straps, etc. Thanks for the amazing show, everyone. You make an insane commute enjoyable every week. Cheers. And this is from JL in uh, sunny Sicily. Well, you thanks for setting us straight there, JL. That's nice. Thank you. Yeah, good information. Appreciate that. All right, uh, let's move on. Does everyone know what a PAR GCA controller well, is? Well, I was going to, let's see, precision approach radar and idea. ground control. What's the A? Or maybe I'm not. Approach. 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 Yeah, it's a controller that basically tells you when to turn left, turn right, maintain heading. And then if it's a PAR, they also give you, you know, start descent and they tell you to increase or decrease your rate of descent. It's kind of like flying an ILS approach without uh, looking at the needles of an ILS approach and just listening to somebody in your ear saying, telling you what to do to maintain the... Yeah, it's like Siri uh, guiding you down for an ILS. Oh, and that's that's why it's so unsafe. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Siri, I, I want to do an ILS. <laughs> I, uh-oh. So, oh. Hush now, hush now. <laughs> I um, say so you can't say those two words together without getting her to talk at you. Exactly. Um, in uh, the Air Force uh, training command, we used to go down to Meridian uh, Naval Air Station. They had a, a really good um, controller down there that did uh, PAR approaches, probably more than one. But they were they were very good at doing those. So that's how we learned how to and practiced PAR and ASR approaches. Yeah, I know I've told this story many a time, but uh, we used to love doing practice approaches at our home base. But uh, when we got bored, we used to uh, start accelerating down the PAR approach, clean up the airplane and listen to the controller speaking faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster, <laughs> and faster until they realized what minute. we were doing. What are you guys doing out there? <laughs> or in, okay, when they, I mean, you start off doing 150. 50 knots, you finish up doing 300. <laughs> okay, when he tells you to turn right five degrees, turn left five degrees. That'll screw him up. <laughs> Your other right. Your other right. 
Uh, moving on to nine. Um, hi, ABG crew. This is from Darren. Thanks so much for the great feedback on my F4 model. I can't begin to tell you how nice it is to be able to share the uh, share these with people who actually care and appreciate them. My wife is like, it's an airplane. Yay. <laughs> Sounds like my wife when it comes to podcasting. Um, with that said, I want to show you my personal favorite model, a Corsair. Oh, I love that airplane too. This one I wanted to look as an F4U, I believe. This one I wanted to look really weathered, a workhorse warbird that's seen a lot of action. I airbrushed on a metallic surface with areas of zinc chromate color, then applied a chipping medium, and over that applied the blue-gray paint scheme. After that, I went back with a wet paintbrush and removed areas of the top layer of, of paint to show areas of bare metal and zinc chromate peeking through to achieve the effects of operating in the hot Pacific sun and weathering from the salty sea air on an aircraft carrier. Hope you enjoy the pictures. Can't tell you how much I love your podcast. It's all I listen to now, including my wife. No, he didn't say that part. Um, <laughs> They, they do look good, though, don't they? They, they're affecting. I mean, it's a lot of got. attention to detail. Absolutely, you know? how much time and effort is put into putting these yeah. models together. It looks like you can see the sort of undercoat coming through where it's worn mm -hmm. and the paint's worn and chipped, and then there's actual areas of uh, metal skin showing through, and all the gloop streaming back from uh, some of the. Um, panels yep mm -hmm. uh, it looks superb i mean it really does um you just need to build a diorama so it looks sort of in place on the ground or on a ship's deck or something it's just absolutely fabulous here we go i don't know how you do it it's i mean it must take a lot of skill and time and mm -hmm. really good eyesight i'm just showing uh, uh some of these photos <laughs> and good uh fine motor coordination to be able to yeah. oh yeah here's some um of the detail of the um uh, sharing the screen here. I guess you guys can see that, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, on that sure. one, have you noticed that he's even got some pee on the wheels where the pilot had to empty his bladder before he what? went flying? <laughs> I don't think that's pee. Nick's eyesight is <laughs> Yeah, put your glasses on. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's just amazing oh. detail. That was just something on your aircraft, Nick. Uh, okay. Not everyone's aircraft. Isn't that amazing? Oh. That's just a incredible skill with the, I mean, that, if that picture right there that's showing on screen right now, I wouldn't, unless I saw that fencing in the background, if I didn't see that, I would think that this is an actual real Corsair wing. Yeah. Yeah. From 70 yeah. years ago. Beautiful job. Mm -hmm. Trying to do mine. Yeah, yes, it is. The real thing. Uh, Nicolay uh, sent us some audio. He said, hello, I just. Well, that's another great wanted audio. to drop some feedback for your fabulous show uh, attached as an audio file and some pictures please include them if you think they are of interest and this is uh nicolay how do you pronounce his last name nick it's h-j-e-r-t-a-a-s jertas i don't know from trondheim norway here we go hello apg crew and community this is nikolai from norway long time listener first time giving feedback just want to quickly let you know what i'm up to and what ga life is like here in norway and i've also got a quick question for you all at the end i am a private pilot always been interested in aviation but as a matter of fact i'm not following my lifelong dream to become a professional pilot but i'm actually studying to become an architect and would be so within the next year 
I got my PPL back in 2016 and I've loved every hour in the air ever since. I most definitely wanted to get my instrument rating and multi-engine rating. And who knows, maybe I'll end up with an ATPL one day. In March this year, the whole GA community was put on hold and the airspace above Norway was closed to VFR traffic. Luckily, the restrictions have been lifted and everything is slowly getting back to normal. I've been able to do my recurrency training since then and also quite a bit of flying. I'm currently living in Trondheim, which is geographically in the southern middle part of Norway. And last weekend I was able to take the Club Cessna 172 up to Bode and Lofoten. Lofoten is a mountainous and very scenic archipelago in the northern parts of Norway and probably the number one tourist spot. And I'm sure that you, Nick, have flown over it if you were ever at Boda during your service at the REF. During my stopover in Boda, I've got my first ramp inspection. It was pretty much what I expected. They checked all the papers and documentations for the aircraft, asked me about how I planned the flight, and uh, did the daily inspection of the aircraft. As professional pilots, I'm sure you have been subject to many a ramp check. My question is then, how does the ramp check unfold in the commercial world? Do they check the aircraft thoroughly and would this cause much delay for you? Greatly appreciate the show and your contribution to the community. Blue skies and tailwinds. Bye-bye. Thank you, Nikolai. Um, so, I don't know. I don't have an answer for him as far as ramp checks. I'm not even sure that's something that is done. Is that done to airliners? Nick? A, a ramp check? Yeah. Uh, I, I'd be ramp yeah, checking like when you're on the, the ramp and they want to see you. Yeah. Yeah, if they want to see you're certificate and your medical huh. and things like yeah. that. Never, uh, I've never actually been ramp, ramp checked. Never had a ramp check in my career. No, it happened I know to me have. once and that was uh, on, a, on a line check. So, you know, just piling the pressure on and we were trying to de-ice and uh, the weather was foul and uh, a very nice FAA inspector came on and wanted to examine all our paperwork. Now that, okay, so that's what you're calling a ramp check? Yep. Okay. I mean, we get instructors that i mean uh, faa inspectors that ride our jump seat for the entire flight and that's all part of the process of checking our license and medicals and all that kind of stuff but uh yeah well that's what we call a ramp check and uh, because because we're flying international they're obviously not going to stay on the airplane unless right. they want a holiday <laughs> all right yeah well that's just an experience i've not had so there you go and uh, yes, I uh, used to fly around uh, that part of Norway, or have flown around that part of Norway. Uh, we used to get regular NATO exercises where we would go across and operate out of the Norwegian bases, uh, and um, more importantly, liaise and work with their fighter controllers um, out there, Red Pipe and the like. Uh, and we weren't quite as far north as uh, Bodo. Uh, and um, but we used to fly up that region. Uh, we were based in what we um, used to nickname Garden Gnome, 
uh, which is actually uh, Oslo International. It's a Gardermoen or something similar. Uh, I'm sure Nikolai will tell me. Um, but uh, yeah, we always used to go down there, and uh, you had always had a ball. Loved it. Oslo is a beautiful city, and flying—you can just see from those photographs what it might have been like to take uh, military fast jets, Phantoms, up those fields and mm-hmm. just belt around the place, having a ball. It was fabulous. Yes, we'll have uh, all the uh, photos that uh, sent in the show notes if you want to check them out. The pictures are beautiful. Yep. Because we weren't quite as high as Nikolai was. Yeah, he was way higher than you were, <laughs> so to speak. Um, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Literally altitude. <laughs> altitude, yes. Yeah. Oh, the Norwegians don't drink. <laughs> no, uh, they're very Scandinavians. Good. What do you call the Scandinavians, Nick? Scandinavians. That goes to Nick. That's definitely yeah, right. Nick, because I'm I come from Scandinavian. I mean Scandinavian uh, background, actually. Oh, so do as I. do as do oh, I. Oh, excellent. Oh, there you go. Wow, that's uh, as do <laughs> I. Wow, everybody on the crew, I guess, except uh-huh. for Rick, maybe <laughs> from Scandinavian background. I don't think right? so much, Rick. Yeah. Um. All right, let's move to seventeen. The new um, coffee fund contributor. Eric. Yes, the new coffee fund contributor, Eric H. Would have been a lot easier if I had just referred to him as that in the uh, coffee fund segment. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Just found the podcast during quarantine, and I'm loving every minute. As someone who has been furloughed from my job as a restaurant manager at a large theme park owned by a mouse that shall remain nameless, it has been a great distraction. I've been an aviation fan all my life and hope to one day get my pilot license. On episode 443, you went down the rabbit hole of great beers and temperatures to serve beer at. A good look, a good book, I should say, that I recommend if you would like to learn more about beer and the science and details about different types of beer would be Tasting Beer by Randy Mosher. I actually have that book. It's a great reference book and helped me pass my uh, Cicerone or certified beer professional exam. It's set up where you can easily you can take. Okay, exams wait, 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 wait. I have questions. Can I be a certified beer <laughs> yeah. professional? I've drunk. I a need lot a of career beer. change. I, like I ASAP. need. I need to take that. I've probably passed that exam by now, haven't I? I'm well, sure I would. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you're good at drinking it. I'm not Is sure. Is like a sommelier? If you know all the details as far as alpha and uh, beta amylase. Um, I enzymes can, I can and learn. that kind of thing. You know, you guys, yeah, you're smart enough. I, to I mean, it out. I'm, I'm instructable. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know how easy <laughs> I'd find it to take that on board after a few beers. Well, I tell you what, well, then you can just start making it up, you know, like the Somalis do, like you'll notice hints of, you know, fruity stuff. And, uh, I've got hints of galoshes in my beer. <laughs> So I'm sorry, Eric, the for them you interrupting your fine feedback. <laughs> uh, I'm going to finish it, though, eventually, when they shut up. <laughs> We're done. Here we go. Um, it's set up where you can easily read it from cover to cover or just pick and choose subjects that you're just curious about. Thank you again for the wonderful content about aviation and life. Cheers, Eric H. And thank you, Eric, for becoming a patron of the show. And now, um, certified beer professional. Uh, we used to call it certified beer judge, uh, program. And I was actually, um, I don't know. I just started basically, uh, doing the, uh, certified beer judging program, uh, from the American homebrewers association back in the 
late nineties. Um, when I, what do they call you? Judge Dredd? Oh, they don't call me anything. I never made it to judge. That, <laughs> what you do is you have to go to a bunch yeah. of uh, competitions and you get certain like points for, uh, you're basically helping out, uh, all the certified beer judges with the, with the, um, the judging of the, of the beer. What do you call it? Um, can't think of the name anyway, or you submit your beers for judging and then you are awarded and, uh, I thought that would be a lot of fun. And so I started, I have the book that he's referring to by um, Randy Mosher. I also um, thought, well, I'm going to take a look and see if there, the other one, there was like some kind of a style guide. I don't think it was by Randy Mosher. I just can't remember who it was. And I, I meant to look at my my bookshelf before we did the show today and I forgot, but um, it's a it's a small little handbook that of uh, beer styles. But I decided to go and do some research, find out what's the official study material now and there is a, a free pdf out there that i think it was completed and compiled in 2015 i'll put that uh pdf in the show notes so any of you out there who are interested in seeing and this is really good stuff because it'll it'll tell you you know like specifics about let's say ipa and they'll it'll say like an american ipa style is this and kind of give you a little bit of, of the background of this beer and what the benchmark beers are that represent it best um and then different variations of the styles and that kind of thing uh like for instance a west coast ipa uh the one that they mention as one of the benchmarks is stone ipa and uh Mm -hmm. has that particular style and gives you like bitterness international bitterness units um uh, original gravity um final gravity um readings you know as far as the of the uh so here's the the knowledge areas mm -hmm. it says keeping and serving beer beer styles beer flavor and evaluation mm -hmm. beer ingredients and brewing processes and then pairing beer with food yeah so it's good so, i mean it's amazing it's a, as you said uh, you made the uh comparison to uh, being a sommelier uh, in the wine uh, world it's the mm -hmm. same kind of thing in the beer world and uh, i actually had no idea that existed for the beer world but that's great i'll be reading that pdf okay i'll i'll make sure that you see it Excellent. yeah it's good to have you know i'd like to have on your phone you know to uh like you go someplace and you just kind of you've never heard of that particular style before and you can look it up and it's right there you know with you take a look at it. uh you were saying something liz 13 next and then okay. see where we are all right uh liz is suggesting the control room is suggesting that we move to item number 13 and see where we are now i'm in roswell georgia i think that you're in toronto liz thank you for that. um still in the carolinas still in the carolinas for uh, well let's see where you are at the okay, end of this well, yeah i hope i'm <laughs> i might i might migrate move <laughs> there might be a seismic shift of some sort i might cross the state line it's only a mile away it's possible. it's possible. I mean, I've, I've been hearing some rumbling of thunder and I'm getting texts on my phones that Bless your stomach. I could, well, you know, it, actually it could be, <laughs> but in, th in this case, uh, it's backed up by lightning, not from me, but from mother nature outside. So, um, anyway, uh, he said, this is from Brent. He says, I made an audio file for feedback. Please let me know if you need it in another format. Blah, 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 blah. I see. By the way, the kid, my kids like to refer to you all as my imaginary friends when I update them. <laughs> or talk about the latest episodes <laughs> that's funny oh yeah dad's listening to his his imaginary friends. his imaginary friends hopefully this finds you all happy happy face all right so let's let's hear what brent has to say greeting apg crew and fellow listeners the dca it's been mentioned a few times lately 
And I'd just like to add a few of my thoughts. I used to fly the DC-8 at a company very similar to Captain Rick's operator, where we flew all over the world with cargo and passengers, sometimes both at the same time in a combi configuration. Some of the limitations I heard on the last episode did not exist at our carrier in regards to reverse thrust usage in flight. The inboard engines could be at maximum reverse thrust anytime above 190 knots, and if deployed at a high airspeed, it was required to slow below 300 knots before stowing. This was for all different engine variants, including the cascading reverse style CFM 56. We did not have an altitude restriction on using them, but it was frowned upon in the terminal area or anytime below 10,000 feet. Naturally, I was definitely excited to try them out for the first time, as this was not normal in any of the previous aircraft that I had flown. The result was surprisingly benign, though, and you really couldn't tell a whole lot of difference when at a high versus low power setting in regards to airframe buffeting. It honestly is not much different sensationally than riding in the aft part of an airliner with the speed brakes fully deployed. Common practice, though, similar to speed brake usage, was to avoid reverse thrust in flight altogether, which took some planning on the DC-8 as it was a very clean airplane, even after 50 years of hail damage. It's correct that the DC-8 does not have leading edge flaps or slats, but it does have leading edge slots. These slots are inboard of each engine pylon. They have doors which close to make a flush or a clean wing when the flaps are up. And if the flaps are down, it opens, allowing the air to flow over the top of the wing. If uh, this door fails to open, the approach speed must be increased by 10 knots and 1,800 feet added to landing distance. The airplane really honestly was impressive for its era with a ceiling of 42,000 feet and a maximum speed of Mach decimal 88. It could also carry the same payload and weight as a 767-200. More importantly for me, it holds my personal record of the most souls on board of 1,305, five of which were human and the rest were all monkeys. This <laughs> made for interesting passenger noises and later smell on a 10-hour flight. <laughs> Instead of clapping upon touchdown, they all made all their normal monkey noises, which I'm not going to imitate right now. Aww. The biggest drawback, in my opinion, of that airplane was that it had no APU. If you were headed to a remote destination with no air start available, the company would send a mechanic that would actually stay with the airplane to babysit a running engine while the crew would have their required rest. If you were going to be there for a really long time, the mechanic would come with the air start cartridge and uh, later light the engines off if you needed to shut them all down. Delta is the uh, only operator I'm aware of that retrofitted the airplane to have an APU. Meanwhile, everybody, if COVID has you looking for another aviation movie, Freefall Flight 174 on Prime kept me entertained the entire time without making me frustrated. 
The only scene that somewhat annoyed me was in the opening as the simulator crew had a dramatized reaction to a dual engine failure. The rest of the movie, however, it was enjoyable, and some of the cheesy simulations and recreations had me laughing a fair amount. For instance, check out their epaulets. I'd like to call those COVID-issued, as they could be very useful right now. Also, I love the references to the Ramier turbine. Imagine the noise pre-flighting the FMS on this airplane as every time they push a button, it made a noise. The attitude indicators needed a little bit of calibrating. And why did the aft door get used so much at the ending? There are a bunch of other small nuggets that also were enjoyable to catch. It's based on a familiar true event, and Liz might enjoy some of the retro Canadian footage. It's definitely, though, worthy, in my opinion, of sitting down for an hour and a half with a beer or two. Don't worry, everybody. Upgrades and positive news will be returning to the world. Cheers, everybody. Thank you, Brent. That's very, very entertaining. Free fall. Uh, glad great, the, glad the monkeys story. just made noises and didn't throw things upon landing. <laughs> yeah, also. Yes, That's what I was thinking it was going to say. <laughs> Mind you, I, I'm appreciation just for the flight. How did they tell the difference between the monkeys and the flight engineer? <laughs> That's not funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think if, if you uh, if you're watching the video, you you could see all of our faces when he said oh, like one thousand one thousand a DC eight. Yeah, I was going, what? What's he talking about? That's <laughs> how's that possible? <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so the smaller, smaller That's a lot of monkeys. The movie he was referring That's to, Freefall Flight One Seven Four. I've never heard of it. It's apparently on Amazon Prime. <laughs> Guess we'll have to check it out. And there was something, some reference to the epaulets uh, I didn't quite get. I guess you have to watch the movie. Uh, you'll have to watch the movie. Have you seen it? Something for me to watch. No, uh, something I'll have to watch on the treadmill the next time I have a there you go. long treadmill session. Right. The, was it free? Free fall flight 174. All right. Well, Brent, uh, thanks a lot for your uh, feedback. That was uh, interesting. And thanks for the uh, information regarding the DC-8. Uh, lots, of, lots of good stuff. I think you can wrap it up now. All right. Well, uh, Control Room is telling me that uh, it might be time for us to wrap up today's episode. So uh, thank you, everyone, for sending in the feedback. Uh, that's what makes the show. The uh, community is what this is all about. And, you know, getting involved in the show by sending us feedback uh, keeps us all connected, which is very important at all times, but especially during this uh, Rona virus and, you know, quarantining and that kind of thing. Uh, if you want to learn more about the show, uh, you can see our website uh, information on there uh, includes uh, information about the crew the community the coffee fund more information about plain tales installments um apg library where uh, uh tiffany our librarian uh, manages all that Got lots of great uh things to find there for you readers of books um what else we have um a lot more merchandise and some other stuff so check it out, airlinepilotguy.com. And we're also on the social meds. We are on the social meds. You can head over to twitter.com. We are at APG Crew, same handle over on Instagram. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash airlinepilotguy. Good place to find out about changes to, or when the show will be recording, any last minute changes to recording scheduled times. That's on Twitter generally. It'll also be on Facebook. And lots of good uh, community interaction. We hope to hear from you there. 
So see you on the social meets. Excellent. And let me see if um, Hillel is available to tell us about Slack. Hillel! Hillel! Would you let me finish a poo for once? Nope. I'm sorry. Kind of embarrassing. <laughs> Do it. Should we, should we wait? Hang on. Still 15 seconds to go. Wait. Okay. Okay. Um, I guess we'll have to vamp a little bit. 15 seconds to go. I think... Okay. He's ready. Take it away. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel. Jeff, this is my private time. Well... Wow. Glad that he took some time out to uh, help us with Slack. And uh, yeah, I think, uh, oh, big round of applause again for our producer, director in the control room. Hey, Toronto. thank you, man. She is awesome. And until next time, wishing you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, buddy. Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall. I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline